Hello. All right. Yeah, it sounded fine, except for... (laughs) I guess the mic was too close to my nose. You actually hear me breathing. I was like, all right, I'll edit that out. (laughs) It happens sometimes. You actually hear like... Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and other times you don't hear it at all, so it's like, okay, it's just where the mic on the headset goes, and if it's a little too high, forget it. Anyway. So you're listening to Weird Things Inside the Goldmine, you're such a dad to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, Wesley Snipes at a moon approved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network now on podcast. episode of the 12th season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, the maven of sleeves, virago, vituperativeness, and whatever else we come up with eventually, <laughs> as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tonight... We are talking Wesley Trent Snipes. He was born in 1962 in the land of make-believe, Disney World territory, Orlando, Florida, to an aircraft engineer and a teacher's aide, but grew up on the mean streets of the Bronx before a move back to Florida in his teens and a stint in college out in California. He had a weird start, appearing as a drug dealer in Miami Vice and as the heavy in a Michael Jackson video, and believe it or not, almost wound up as Jordy LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation. Can you even picture that? How about in the Timac role in The Last Dragon? Who is the master? Snipes would have been better cast as the show enough. <laughs> but he finally made his break during the then-expected New Jack gangster films and Spike Lee crap. But even early on, he would break out of the usual ghetto of that sort of shit to do winning dramedy films like White Men Can't Jump and the drag queen picture to Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Probably thanks to his wide-ranging background in martial arts, karate, hapkido, jiu-jitsu, capoeira, Shaolin kung fu, this guy ain't fucking around. He found a new career in action films, starting with Passenger 57, and though most were really bad, no-budget, straight-to-VHS junk come the mid-90s, it kept him afloat through his legal troubles, which we'll get to. He also ran a side hustle agency providing trained bodyguards to celebrities, which led him in a bit of hot waters. There were vague ties to a black Islamic terrorist group being watched by the government and anti-racist organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center, which may not be a surprise given his early work with the detestable Spike Lee. To his credit, he walked away from black Islam in the late 80s, so he's probably never come off that way very strongly since kicking off his film career. As everyone is likely well aware, he's well known for attempting income fraud, i.e. tax dodging relating to several years' tax returns in the late 90s to early millennium, and he was convicted a few years later, in October of 2006, doing three years in prison from 2010 to 2013. And he didn't entirely lose his crackpot beliefs because his defense was that he was a, quote, sovereign citizen or non-resident alien. Okay, sure. Yeah, anything you want to start with? If you got anything to drop in, go right ahead. <laughs> Keep going. You're on a roll. I gotta say, our recent attempts to drag in films that go past, you know, the early to mid-90s has been kind of rough on yours truly. My original mission statement that nothing of any real merit seems to hail from any date beyond 1993 or so, arguably to the end of that decade, has proved to be so 
I hate to say it, but nigh absolute in its accuracy. Even I can't believe it. And these last few shows have really cemented that with some dramatic force. You know, Whoopi, for all her likability and surprisingly enjoyable films early on, had more than a few clunkers in her filmography. Eddie Murphy, for whatever decent films he had laid down, had at least twice as many turgid, hard-to-sit-through clunkers in his resume, as you've probably heard in the last show. But this Wesley Snipes show, holy shit. I mean, I loved them in Demolition Man. The Blade films were great for what they were, especially 1 and 3. And yes, cheesy as action heroes, Starfucker Fest as they are, I did enjoy seeing all those guys, Snipes very much among them in Expendables 3. But with very few exceptions otherwise, I mean, his drag picture, his basketball hustling picture... I've never had such a hard time sitting through quite so many awful films that in many ways represent everything I despise about modern film and television. I'm not even trying to be funny here. I mean, doing Snipes brought this run of excitement and blowing through movies for shows almost to a dead halt. I could barely get through one movie a day at times after that. Anything else, not to have to sit through another atrocity on everything I enjoy or believe in. And I don't know that it's so much due to the man himself or his abilities as just the state of Hollywood in the last 30 years or so, but... Honestly, this was, in some, a very difficult one to get through. When he's actually invested in a part, he's great. You know, Simon Phoenix, Blade, Dr. Death, White Man Can't Jump. But this guy phones it in for the paycheck more than anybody I've ever seen this side of Bo Hopkins. <laughs> Klaus Kinski did punch the walk-on roles that he would be top-billed for, but would always really just kind of throw himself into it, however brief the appearance and mercenary his motivations. Snipes did a solid run of at least a dozen movies from around the time he wrapped in Red Sun to Expendables 3, barred for the most part the Blade films where his reticence at least fits the part, that were pure, say the lines, hit your marks, cash out. Zero investment in the role, which was generally the same damn thing over and over. He was the ex-G-man, a spy, or a cop, called back in the service, betrayed by his superiors, and mistaken for the perp by the cops and the general public, over and over and over again. And these films were painful to sit through, particularly as less and less name actors and actresses showed up in the co-star credits. So I just got to say, I mean, there are some good ones in here for sure, and we're going to go into some much greater detail, but wow. I Of all the shows that we did, I'm like, I, I don't even know if I want to finish this one. It was so much bad stuff in there. Well, no, I mean, just to touch on what you just said, there's a lot of fun favorites. We're going to discuss oh, yeah. those. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Yeah, I still which, never saw that which, one. Sorry, which, we, which I covered in the Eddie Murphy show. The Eddie Murphy show, yeah. Where Wesley played real-life director and actor D'Ervo Martin, who was notoriously disinterested in anything. <laughs> Yes. Uh, in real life. And and Wesley really nailed him. He really nailed that. He's so great. I mean, they were even thinking of nominating Wesley for Best Supporting Something. You know, the guy shows up. He's right you know, with a flask. He's supposed to be directing. <laughs> you know? Well, maybe he was, what's his name there? Patrick McGowan. <laughs> well, no. I mean, it was a very interesting part. And then, and then yo know, he, he flits in and out of, of Dolomite's life. At some point in time, he kind of sees the premiere of that movie kind of was a wake-up call. Like, a lot of people turned out for that first Dolomite movie. But a lot of it was, was up to the real, actual Dolomite. Well played by Eddie Murphy in that film. But Wesley was pretty good in that. You are actually, I remember you liking Coming to America. Yes, yes. So, which that came afterwards. I did see, I don't know if you did. This is only from a year or two back. True story. It was a seven episode thing. I think it was on Amazon or Netflix. No, uh, I didn't see that. It's a TV thing with Wesley Snipes and Kevin Hart. But I was surprised that it wasn't the Kevin Hart I was used to. You know, like the high pitched voice comedian. Yeah. This was a gritty crime thing. I'm like, really? And it was a little hard to watch because, like, shit. 
<laughs> yeah, and they were both very good in that. It was called True Story. There were seven episodes. But, you know, you, you have to, if you're going to have an arc like that on a crime a crime series, you have to invest your characters with a little bit of levity. You know? Yeah, humanity, and, something. Yeah, and, and you know, you got a guy who's primarily known as a comedian. It was nothing fucking funny about it. Kevin Hart was really good in this. So uh, I just wanted to mention those, so we're going to jump right into Wesley Snipes. Yeah, and I actually wanted to add before, but I didn't want to mm. interrupt you on a roll. When we're talking about directors like Dervil Martin that just kind of like show up and drink or snort coke and aren't really invested at all. The other one that popped to mind was Lake Peckinpah, like around the time he was doing Convoy. <laughs> I think I heard he was barely on set, and when he was, he was like so high, he was like exploding. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Hal Ashby. Hal Ashby, another great filmmaker. Hal Ashby had done so many terrific films, and, and it's amazing that Probably the last thing he ever did. Let's spend the night together at the Rolling Stones concert film from 80, mm-hmm. the 81 tour, at least in 82, 83. <laughs> I wonder who took that away and, and like, re-edited that thing, you know. <laughs> and maybe it was the Glimmer Twins themselves, you know, like, he, he was another, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that one of those bad tours they had, like, Love You Live that everybody hated? You I can't know, remember because that was around Tattoo You and uh, well, it's the funny so. thing they released it this horrible. You know, I love that band; it's my favorite band. They yeah. released this horrible live album called Still Life. Poorly, <laughs> wow, yes, another one. <laughs> yeah, poorly mixed. Uh, poorly, it was like bad. It, not only forget about the poor mix; I have thousands of bootlegs in my house. But it's it's bad performances. Yo, there's got to be some good shows, some good performances of good songs on on bad night. You know, so. This movie came out with, like, they picked these two shows, one of them I was at, and I don't know what they did in the in the sound mix, but it was like, it sounds really good, and the footage is really good. And I was like, somebody took this over. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. I I was gifted last year, actually, for Christmas. It's, uh, I don't know who it was from still to this day. I posted it. It was a huge box of, like, 10 LPs. And it was like uh, Tattoo You and Remixes. And it was like an alternate still life, not the one that came out. It was a different shows. And uh, there were like four LPs for that, just that live thing. And I'm like, it's, the box has got a lenticular cover. I'm like, holy shit, this weighs like 30 pounds. <laughs> and that sounds great. Really? And, but, yeah. but they never released that as like, I don't know, also still life, whatever. But yeah, Hal Ashby, that's known. And uh, Sam Peckinpah, that's known. But you know... <sighs> These, and these guys were not young. I'm having trouble in my early 60s. <laughs> and these guys were in the mid to late 70s. They're like, dumb, blow, fucking whores. <laughs> and, you know, hey, you got a call to be on set? Yeah, I'm almost done. You know, <laughs> you know how, how do these guys do that? You know, I various times over the last you know several years, I've been to the doctors for whatever. You know, just a checkup or whatever the hell, or something acute happens, and you go check it out, whatever. You know, you cut your hand or whatever the hell, and you get it stitched up. Not even that bad though. And they always ask you like, "Oh, are you are you doing any illegal drugs?" And I laugh at them. I'm like, "Really? That's what you're gonna ask me? Come on! You think you can tell? Like, you know, do I have the jitters here? You know, am I sniffing all the time? What's the deal? Do you see track marks?" And they're like, "No, no, you'd be surprised because." We get folks that are like in their 70s and 80s that I guess are all these like 70s survivors or whatever the hell, and they're like totally fucked up on drugs. Huh? <laughs> like all coke cans or whatever else and shooting up and like, wow, really at that age? Well, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm also sure that probably COVID just made everybody like, what the fuck? I'm just going to get into <laughs> drugs now. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> all right, Wesley, jump in. All right, so. All right, the first one I'm going to go to, which is actually one of his first ones anyway, is 1990, Low Better Blues, where he was Shadow Henderson. Snipes gets a minor part as a Coltrane analog to Denzel Washington's Miles Davis type, right down to a very direct and at times quite literally swipe. I mean, I heard songs and motifs I'm very familiar with as a longtime fan of both men. Davis train quintet style post bebop soundtrack, courtesy of Leno band leader Branford Marsalis, who's one of the rare players who could credibly pull such a thing off, in this typical Spike Lee period piece about a jazz man's fall from grace. The title is a reference to the most absurd line in the film, where Denzel says to a piece on the side that Mo Betta is his name for fucking. Sure, I bet that one caught on with the general public. There's a few stories going on here, though it's 90% about Denzel's character. He's got a laid-back Fletcher Henderson slash Cab Calloway-looking piano man with a French girlfriend that the rest of the band hates because she's white. Yeah, it's pretty obvious this is a Spike Lee film. There's also Snipes, who's the Coltrane type, whose lengthy bebop solos are pissing off their manager, Spike himself, and leading him to push Denzel to fire him. Spike is also a gambling addict, getting in deep with the bookies, while Denzel is screwing around on his girlfriend with a slightly better-looking number who Snipes has a thing for. Both women figure it out and dump him. Snipes is pissed off at him. Spike gets his fingers broken by the mob, begs for money for the band, gets fired and has to move in with Denzel, who lets him because they grew up together. Then the bone breakers drop by again. Denzel tries to stop him from beating on Spike, and they bust his lip, leaving him unable to play. Now both of them are down and out. Snipes and the rest of his band go on to continued success, while Denzel can't play anymore, and reunites with his ex, and supposedly they live happily ever after. Yay! Spike Lee is a bizarre director who splays the screen with overly saturated, almost day-glow color, presumably in an attempt to make it come off, quote, very black, akin to the cartoonishly rococo, almost graffiti-esque art style so ubiquitous among that community, and an amateurish forefronting of camera tricks, like an incessantly neurotically moving lens, tracking zooms, handheld shaky cam, harsh overuse of Dutch angles, and worse. It's like he studied Hitchcock and arguably Tarantino, was too pissed off at studying the work of white directors and dropped out, delivering this very teenaged, rage-fueled product designed to pass that rage on to what he hopes is a largely black audience, even tapping the militarized and very racist Elijah Muhammad's Fruit of Islam as protection on his shoots. You know, those guys working around with the guns and shit, like they used to do a public enemy. It's very much the cinema of revolt, but it's so juvenile and amateurish in all its cocaine-fueled kineticism and misuse of forefronted technique, it's both oddly watchable for a modern ADD-afflicted audience and absurdly off-putting. I've seen several of his early, more famed efforts and always had the exact same reaction. When I first ran to do the right thing for a watch with my best buddy and drummer back in the day, I wanted to throw a brick through his TV set by the end. I can't stand this little turd, but at least you can say his films aren't boring or fail to elicit a reaction, however negative that inevitably is. Make no mistake, this is not the same hateful Tarot and diatribe that other Spike Lee films, like Do the Right Thing, are. The rage comes out more in little lines, undertones, and asides than a straightforward surface narrative, but it's still not the sort of thing I'd recommend to anyone, particularly if they don't want to walk away pissed off at people in large groups and thinking that they hate them in turn just for existing. Fuck you, you little prick. Go pitch your bullshit at a MAGA rally. You're not even the flip side of that particular coin. I hate Spike Lee. So what's your take? <laughs> I, 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 you know, I actually saw your your post today on Facebook, so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> I don't dislike him immensely like you do. I I have issues. Um, yeah, Spike Lee. You know, he, he came from parts of Brooklyn that I've been to, and everybody has a view. Everybody's entitled to their view of growing up and their view of life. And I I know this area of which he. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, I, I accidentally walked into his record store Uh-oh. <laughs> with my ex-wife on, on Flatbush one day. We got lost in this, this street fair. Duh. <laughs> Two white people, one white, one white nerdy girl wound up cheating on me and fucked everybody. That's another story. Um, so we were lost in Flatbush Avenue one day at a street fair. And I said, I know where I'm at. And I didn't. <laughs> and we were we were stuck on the tour. Grand Armory Plaza. I said, hey, look, it's a record store. And it's like Spike's Joint. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know where I'm at. Yeah, you, know, you walk in there, and you're like white. And you're like, all heads turn. <laughs> yeah. You know what you're looking for? Yeah, man. I'm looking for the jazz section. <laughs> you immediately go that way. Like, yeah, we got some over here, but, you know, we got, we got a lot of hip hop. You know, like, Jesus Christ. Those are the days where guys were show up, open up the rear trunks. Here's my hip hop album. You know, you want to buy 50 copies? Yeah, you know? I remember. Um, I I like Denzel Washington. Really do. Um, he's a good actor. He's a really good actor. He's a really good actor. I don't know fuck that guy, but he, 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 he's another guy, like, late in life, like um, like Liam Neeson that we I mentioned pre-show, mm-hmm. who late in life became like an action hero. Really? How'd that happen? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't... It's a tough movie to watch because as per the director, Spike Lee, he was touching on elements uh, that were very personal to him. And they, they may not be easy to, to digest oh, I'm putting this very nicely you are. <laughs> to other people but I, I don't think it's a bad film I don't think it's a bad film did you see King of New York? no I did not next one I saw was New Jack City so go ahead if you want oh yeah King of New York Abel Ferrara yeah that one Miss 45 Bad Lieutenant yeah, yeah very disturbed problem this is <laughs> amazing amazing film Abel Ferrara the uh I don't know. He always seems like he's on drugs. Bad Lieutenant. Um, he's the closest thing that, quote, mainstream cinema has to a New York transgressive director like Nick Zed or Richard Kern. Or... <laughs> he started out in porn. Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. I kid you not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually knew Jilla... that, but I was going to say it. <laughs> Why not? Come on. Driller Killer, Miss 45. I almost said Driller Killer, but I'm like, I'll just leave it out. Fear <laughs> City, Crime Story. It's not bad. Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, hey, leave Harvey alone. <laughs> so, anyway, I, yo, this is uh, this is pretty damn terrific. I think it's a must-see. Uh, you missed it. Christopher Walken, Larry Fishburne again. David Caruso, really doing a good job. Victor Argo, guy who worked with Abel Ferrara often. Wesley Snipes, Giancarlo Esposito, another great guy. He's gone now. This is like pure and simple... <sighs> Street gangs start moving up on the drug chain, and Christopher Walken is this guy. You know, this is like, did we ever do a Christopher Walken show? No, we did not. <laughs> Until then, we I got thought it. about it. I definitely thought about it. Yeah, yeah why not? It, it will not prevent us from very bad Christopher Walken impersonation. <laughs> it, it can't be as bad as Matt's. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> it may be a little less volume, but anyway, so. Yeah, he wasn't Pacino. <laughs> Well, Pacino was like, I can do it. No. So anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry, folks. Uh, you can hear that in our Pacino show, <laughs> which we did. Yeah. Well, being an Abel Ferrara film, it's pretty bizarre. Uh, you know, it's like white guy wants to be drug kingpin. And he's because he's played by Christopher Walken. Fucking psychotic. And he wants to take over <laughs> the existing drug cartels. And, and 
Wesley Snipes plays a cop in this. He's, he's very good in this. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of good people in this. And it also has some very interesting, for those that are into this kind of thing, odd supporting roles by, by uh, Asian women who look like maybe Abel was like visiting massage parlors in Chinatown and said, hey, I like you. I'm going to give you a part. There, <laughs> I there would is, not put it past him. There are some very strange. He gave one, Leah Chang, female gang member. She almost steals a picture. I'm not going to tell you which part this is. <laughs> if you see like, oh, shit, Lewis is right. <laughs> um, but Wesley's pretty good in this. He, he's, it's, it's hard, you know, and David Caruso also plays a cop, a detective. He's a guy who had a problematic career. You know, Larry Fishburne's just like burning, burning screen time. You know, along with Denzel, Lawrence Fishburne, another great actor. I love that guy. That guy is so good. Yep, he was in the powerhouse. Yeah, powerhouse. And and it's funny that in the last, to make a connection here, the last Matrix, he doesn't appear, but he shows up in the last two uh, John Wick films, which, you know, he reconnects with his uh, Ma uh, Matrix buddy, Keanu Reeves. And uh, I'm like, so why wasn't he in the last Matrix? But they had somebody else play him anyway in the last one. But it was weird because he was he was AV character. I don't know. It gets so complicated. <laughs> um, this is a pretty good movie. It's hard to watch. It's rough. It's rough. New Jack City, you wanted to go into? Wasn't Fishburne in Ant-Man, too? I, I thought he was playing Bill Foster. Yes, he did. I was right. Yeah, yeah. He's in I, was, I didn't want to say. I was thinking for like five minutes. I'm like, I think Lawrence Fishburne was in freaking Ant-Man 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a smaller part. but He was playing Bill Foster, a.k.a. Black Goliath, in the 70s. Seventies <laughs> Marvel comics. So anyway. New 1991 now. New Jack City. You don't like my lifestyle? Fuck you. Half-ass, no-budget, exploitation pioneer Melvin's son, Mario Van Peebles, who dear old dad made fuck a prostitute on screen in Sweet Sweet Back and give the kid an especially early case of herpes thereby, and who's goofy acting as a baddie taking up a Robert Ginty in a garbage truck in Exterminator 2, and as a no-lifer in Rappin' were pure comedy gold. This was his first attempt in the directorial role, whose surprising success led him to a similarly undistinguished career thereafter, but damn, this was a big hit. Excuse me, uh, is this some black thing? With then-prominent folks like Motown vet Nick Ashford of Ashford and Simpson, who actually saw at a block party down the street a decade back, Keith Sweat, whose whiz standee was humped by some teenage white bimbo in the middle of a crowded store. I can tell you that story sometime. Reggae toaster Eka Mouse and crackhead Flav, he been hitting a pipe, Flav, making cameos. A very popular and rather decent soundtrack filled with high-charting hits from co-star Ice-T, Color Me Bad, new edition vet Johnny Gill, the aforementioned Keith Sweat, Levert of Casanova fame, future comedy star in the new Equalizer, Queen Latifah, frat boy favorites Two Live Crew, and forgotten Jodeci clones, Guy. I'm gonna wax your high yellow ass. This juice knockoff was one of the earliest major roles for both future old folks TV cop show standby Ice-T and complete asshole Chris Rock, who joined Snipes and Brat Packer Judd Nelson of Breakfast Club and Satan Elmo's Fire, for this sordid tale of the rise and fall of a crack dealer, Snipes, who bumps off rivals, including an Italian mob who surprises him with a great present, one of those old racist jockeys, sets up a crack house working with low-end mobster Nelson for the supply end, and runs shit out of a local club until undercover Vice Squad Club pulls a sting operation and drops the manic, suave-dressing snipes off a roof to his death. Yay? 
one of these sub-Spike Lee gangbanger jobs, it's certainly watchable enough, and the combination of then-famous faces and a killer soundtrack give it a lot more heft than its meager intrinsic merits ever deserved. Even so, Snipes and Ice-T do what they can with the material such as it is. Actually, it's not too bad. I rewatch it for the show, and, and uh, you know... <sighs> I like Chris Rock. I really do. He's more, he's much more versatile than people think as an actor. And, um, God damn, I love him in those lethal weapon movies. (laughs) (laughs) He's like the last fucking guy. They added him on the third picture. He lasted through five so far. And, uh, bless his heart. And damn, he got smacked by big man. Will. (laughs) And that was the most fucked up thing I ever saw in my life. By the way, folks, we never commented on that. That's fucked up. Um, anyway, uh, I like Chris Rock, and, and it's it's <laughs> nice to see him in a part where he's hungry. He's a hungry young actor. He becomes a little, before he became a little smartass. Russell Wong, um, Asian actor who worked in a couple of pictures, I think even for Abel Ferrara, before he went to Hong Kong trying to make it as a Hong Kong action star, is, appears in this too. Uh, it's not terrible. It's not bad. I'd like to see Wace, we, Wesley. Wesley. Yes. <laughs> nice to see Wesley. <laughs> Wesley in a leading role like this. But next is Jungle Fever. One I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're going to hate this picture. Go ahead. Is it true that black men don't like to go down on women? And yes, sad reality check for you ladies. I have it from a reliable source that this is in fact the case. Well, at least for the one she'd been with anyway. (laughs) This is a deceptive film with a measured, practically peaceful story about a black man and a white girl get involved and face all kinds of racist bullshit from all sides, even the weights different restaurants, blacks like Queen Latifah and whites alike. How dare they have a (gasps) interracial relationship? There ain't no good black men out there. Most of them are drug addicts in jail, homos. All the good ones know they the shit, so they got ten women at a time, leaving babies all over the place. What are the options? Be a nun, be gay, or see someone who likes you no matter what, Chinese, black, white, or whatever. Part of it is that these white bitches throw themselves at black men, and they will give up that pussy because their fathers try to keep it from them all their lives. And when they turn 18 and leave home, they're going to get that black dick. Yes, this is actual dialogue I'm quoting with these things. <laughs> Snipes is a calm, well-spoken, and snazzily-dressed fella who's making bank as an architect working under that dickhead Tim Robbins. Ugh, God, help you if you remember him. He's got a neurotic wife who he winds up screwing around on when sort of cute Annabella Scura comes on to him, despite setting himself up for a workplace harassment suit thereby, because she's his temp admin, by the way, and the fact that he's married and she's engaged to a shy, mushroom-headed John Totoro. When the jilted spouses and grooms find out, they also flip out, with the only healthy response being Totoro starting to date mm, sort of cute Tyra Farrell from White Man Can't Jump. And as in most, if not all, Spike Lee films, Everybody in this film is as racist as Spike himself, from Snipes' preacher parents, Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee, to Skira's stereotypically spaghetti-stained, white-beater-sporting father and brothers. Even their friends, respectively among the cast members, Lee, cute Debbie Mazar, Holly Berry, even Totoro's dad, Anthony Quinn, from The Magus, which we covered in our Michael Caine show, give them shit, spouse racist bullshit, and everyone but Snipes gets beaten up. Skira by her father, Totoro by Quinn, then his pals, and a minor character even gets shot down by Daddy Davis. There's also, as just hinted at right there, an unnecessary side story relating to Snipes' brother, Samuel L. Jackson, who's a no-good crackhead, always stealing shit and scamming money off relatives. 
Early on, the movie seems a little quieter and almost sweet by Spike Lee standards, but naturally, it devolves into its patented race hatred fomentation a la Boys in the Hood. I really can't stand that little shit. I'm amazed that people continue to kowtow to his angry little ass. You know, fuck you, Spike. I know you have a Blacks for Trump shirt in your closet. You're just like them. What's your take? I disagree with you. Ooh, I do. I, 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 I if you, <laughs> if you read things about this movie, if you listen to my co-host and not me, you would say, oh my God, I'm going to stay away from this. I, you know what? I thought he addressed as much as you could in a particular manner by racial dating or fucking. You know, it's, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky It can be if you're surrounded by racists. <laughs> Well, no, I, I don't think Spike Lee is a racist. I, I, I think you you missed your stop on the wrong train and you were surrounded by black men who wanted to kill you. But, <laughs> but, but you know, up, we just did three shows on black folks. I've done black exploitation shows. I've done the career show. I met a lot of these people. I know. Okay. Super I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. I'm messing. So, Spike is you different. Can, He's a... You can feel that way, buddy. It's all right. <laughs> Want me to come over and like rub your shoulders? <laughs> um, I I I see this entirely different. I I see this as a, a black man who fucks around with this white woman, actually starts to like her, vice versa, and then oh, Snipes is totally sympathetic in this one. I have no problem with him. Yeah, and, and then and then like the guy who's supposed to be like hooked up with her, you know, when uh, yo John Turturro, interesting guy. <sighs> I think Samuel Jackson is way more versatile than John Turturro. But anyway, John Turturro is an interesting guy as the actor. And yeah, so he's like, so his thing is like, oh, I'm starting to be attracted to a black woman. Yeah. You, know? And, and, you know, at this point in his career, maybe Spike Lee did not have the gravitas to actually do some, a picture like this and make it even more powerful powerful as a drama. But, I, you know, I don't hate this movie. And I think I think a lot of people hate this movie for all the wrong reasons. And it's not a great film, but there, there's a lot of sweet moments. And it's nice to see Ruby Dee and Ossie Davis late in their career together. Excuse me, together. Um, to create Anthony Quinn. Uh, Michael Imperioli. Lots of, it's funny. It's a lot of uh, Sopranos guy in there. And, you know, I'm sure, like, Look at the casting list in Hollywood Reporter, or was that no? Yeah, Hollywood Reporter. It was like they used to do the casting book, and like Frank Vincent, Spike probably said Italian-looking guys. <laughs> I'm sure they showed up. Next, white men can't jump. I'll also say just to cap that one off. Sure. If this whole film was basically the story of Totoro and uh, I forget her name, the, the girl she gets with in the end, where okay, yeah, he goes through there, he gets beat up by his friends, or whatever, but he still goes and has a date with her, and everything's cool. That would be nice. It would be like a sweet film, that's you know, somewhat realistic, especially for that time and era or whatever, because it's supposed to be set in like I think the 50s mm -hmm. or early 60s. But the fact is, if you look at the text of this film and the subtext. What is the director saying to you? Wesley Snipes had done the unforgivable crime. That's why he has that thing at the end where the girl leaves him and he gets dumped and nobody wants him and he stands there and like screams at the end and that's the roll credits. His thing is, this man committed the unforgivable crime of chasing after a white woman. His ultimate answer, the point of this film is stick to your own kind. No, I, and I, that I, says to me, this guy's a fucking racist and screw you. I, I, I didn't see that. I don't know where you got that. I, I, sorry, I didn't see that. All right. It's okay. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. That's yeah. why we're doing this. Let's so, go on Ebert. So, next up, White Man Can't Jump. Much better movie. And they can't. Uh, well, that's, that's another story. Hey, what about Larry Bird? 
Yo, leave my mama out of this. She's out. What time do you want me to bring the bitch back? Snipes is a fast-talking, doing-the-dozen, snap-insult-spewing hustler on the local street ball scene married to Jungle Fever's Tyra Farrell. When huh. fellow hustler Woody Harrelson makes the scene and takes him for all he's worth, the two rivals team up to work an even bigger hustle because since they're playing in more or less ghetto areas, everyone assumes Whitey can't play ball. Woody's banging former In Living Color fly girl Spike Lee X and Do the Right Thing opening credits dancer Rosie Perez and is on the run from the mob for gambling debts. Rosie swings a stint on Jeopardy. The hustle goes from good to bad and back again. Woody gambles her winnings, and despite doubling the kitty and managing to pay off the bone breakers, she leaves him. While still sniping each other like a married couple, Woody and Snipes get back together, and it's a happy ending. Surface context, bros before hoes. Subtext, the real couple of the film makes up and gets back where they belong, in each other's arms. Roll credit. Well, you can do a film about race relations that's not only not filled with venom and inciting riots, but kind of amusing besides. Without a racist firebrand like Spike Lee at the helm, this film from minor sports figure and pursuit of D.B. Cooper producer Ron Shelton is somewhere between the lighter end of blaxploitation, think Car Wash, Five on the Black Hand Side, Cooley High, or Amazing Grace here, and straight-up black comedy a la Barbershop, Soul Plane, or a Queen Latifah movie. It's basically harmless fun with a lot of sassing and a touch of drama, but at heart, it's all in good fun. Wow, black folks, white folks, and Hispanics can all get along. Who knew after all the Spike Lee films? What's your take? I, 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 I... I hate sports films. I hate anything to do with sports. <laughs> it's like, slit my fucking wrist and squeeze out the juicy blood. I hey, not... it was great. <laughs> but, but, that being said, it, it's a very entertaining movie. Yo, Woody, <laughs> Wesley's fine. Uh, Woody Harrelson, he's like one of our, Woody Harrelson's like one of our uh, highly underrated actors. I don't know, you've seen that True Detective season with him? No, uh, Matthew McConaughey? Oh, my God. Fine acting. Fine acting. I mean, you know, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Woody Harrelson has done some amazing fucking work. Yeah, he's a pothead. <laughs> he admits it. Yeah, he's a pothead. He loves pot. Is that the worst thing? Who cares? So is Keanu Reeves. <laughs> no, but, yo. So is Brett Pitt, obviously. <laughs> yo, Woody, Woody has done some... Yeah, but yeah, you're at you're how old are you now? Woodward. I don't know. Make yourself Woodward. It sounds cool. Um, anyway, Woody... Uh, not Woodpecker, Harrelson. It's like terrific. And, you know, Rosie Perez is in this. And I always like Rosie. I remember I went to see Rosie Perez and Joe Pantoliano on a famous Broadway show. I can't remember. I didn't know she even did Broadway. <laughs> she did Broadway. She did Broadway often. And uh, it was a pretty good show. She naked a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know. I did not want to see Joe Pantoliano naked, but it wasn't, you know, I, I had no, I had no. Oh, Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune, where Joe replaced Al Pacino. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah, not that I wanted to see Al Pacino naked, but it's okay. I say it's a sausage uh, fest. <laughs> but that was a good show. And I was like, oh, my God, there's like, you know, I was like with my ex-wife, like, do you need to go to the bathroom? It's the, you know, you know, the midpoint of the show where they take a break. I'm like, no, I can't get up right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it was pretty good. Uh, no, it's a fun movie. Has a huge following. They even did a sequel to it with I think very few people in it. I can't remember. I like Passenger Fifty Seven. Yes. So next up, Passenger Fifty Seven. This is why I give up my afternoons so some former security specialist can tell me how to obey a hijacker. Snipes finds a new career as an action hero as of this one-off directed by Robert Troubleman Hook's son Kevin. And we talked Troubleman in our exploitation show. Cooks Jr. was almost exclusively a TV director, with only three films to his credit, of which this was by far the biggest. 
Scurrying then up and coming stunner Elizabeth Hurley of the original and by far the best Austin Paris film and the Bedazzled remake, as a stewardess terrorist and his father Robert, this is really all snipe show as a counter-terrorist flight marshal assigned to guard the commercial flight where two G-men are escorting a known terrorist, comedy veteran Bruce Payne of the Kevin Bacon Kira Cedric Pirates, where the entire plot was that they're fucking set places on fire, I shit you not, and the Ellen Barkin remake of Goodbye Charlie, which was Switch, and we discussed Goodbye Charlie in our Tony Curtis show, to trial cross-country. Of course, his people are also on the plane, so they take out the guards and hijack the plane and negotiate his escape, turning this into a speed in midair rather than on a bus. Snipes is fine in the role, but he does come off a bit cold and reticent, where most action heroes tend to be a lot more jokey and engaged. It says a lot that folks like Dolph Lundgren come off as stronger, more expressive action leads than Snipes does here. He's more akin to like a Don the Dragon Wilson and his unflappable stoicism. The closest things get to the expected post-Schwarzenegger jocularity is how Snipes gets seated next to an old white lady who's positive he's Arsenio Hall. <laughs> and when he saves the day, the whole plane starts hooting for him like the Arsenio audience. <laughs> Not bad at all, but you know, I wouldn't say it's anything to write home over. Obviously, you think more of it than I did, so what's your take? No, it's very entertaining. It's just starting the theater, and uh, you know, re- it's, it's good for a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not bad at all. You know, it's at the period of time where, uh, God damn, Hollywood was making a lot of, like, shit happens on a plane stuff. And, you know, Wesley was fine. Yeah, I think he was feeling out his oats as, you know, can I do this kind of... Because it was a big production. There was a lot of money involved in this. I think the oddest thing about this picture is that it has three climaxes. And, uh, you know, anyone who's seen this movie, Passenger 57, you know, unlike Air Force One, you know, uh, with... Um, was that Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford, yeah. yeah. Unlike, you know, Harry, you know, a picture like that, I'm pulling out of the, you know, thin air. Fucking Passenger 57 has three... Con- they land the plane and there's still more shit going on for another half an hour. So, <laughs> it's an amusement park, I believe. So, yo, know, it's... <laughs> Bruce Payne, uh, interesting. He sort of reminded me of uh, a more urbane uh, Brian James. And, you know, there's that Bruce Greenwood, who people forgot about for years, is in this until he appeared in the Star Trek reboot films. Elizabeth Hurley, nobody can forget. So, you know, she's in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fine adventure film. It's just like, I think the, the point that it has like multiple climaxes, no pun intended, or no fucking sexual. <laughs> It's just like it's just like oh it's not over yet you know it's like, <laughs> but it's a good high adventure film not as good as the one uh, executive action with uh, Seagal and um, Kurt Russell yes who we've never done a Kurt Russell show I believe no yeah and not as good as the uh, Air Force One you know, which I just mentioned but yeah it's it's fun in its own next Kurt Russell that's actually an interesting idea I'll have to pin that one down. So, next up, Boiling Point, a stiff-shouldered, no-necked, and balding Dennis Hopper looking for all the world like a cross between Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump with his badly orange receding hairline is this seriously non-threatening gangster baddie in the silly Wesley Snipes cop film. What a decline and fall from sleazy right-wing coke dealer Billy in Easy Rider, which we discussed in our Peter Fonda show. Then again, maybe the signs were there right from the beginning. The cast includes several notable character actors like C.D. Dan Hadaya of the Billy Crystal Gregory Hines Running Scared and the even better tightrope from our Clint Eastwood show. Tacky gap-toothed Valerie Perrine of Can't Stop the Music and Gene Hackman's hapless secretary in Superman. 
Perpetual Mobster, Tony Lobianco of Serpico, The Seven Ups, and City Heat, two of those being from our Al Pacino, Burt Reynolds, and Clint Eastwood shows. Seymour Cassell of Coogan's Bluff and Convoy, the former discussing the show after our Clint Eastwood show, because I saw it too late. And former Exine Cervenka hubby, Vigo Mortensen. Wow, somebody went where John Doe used to be, the mind boggles. <laughs> Essentially, it's about Snipes, of all things a U.S. Treasury agent, trying to get revenge on Mortensen for taking out his partner Hedaya and Hopper for effectively putting the hit on the guy in the first place. There's a whole lot of ridiculously inappropriate time given to Hopper. I don't know if they promised him creative freedom or if this clown James B. Harris, who did at least give us the entertaining telephone from our Charles Bronson and Donald Pleasant shows, just wrote it that poorly, as if we're supposed to sympathize with him in his attempts to woo X and hashling a parine. Want fries with that, hon? While trying to pay off debts to a more high-ranking mobster Lo Bianco. Who cares? The guy's a piece of shit. Fuck him. Like, I need to see his entire sordid life. What is this, a Scorsese film? Snipes is rather matter-of-fact here. Neither his manic persona of films like Demolition Man in New Jack City or his more likable, laid-back, white-man-can't-jump, jungle fever approach, but it's fine for this sort of film. He really doesn't get enough screen time or focus to be considered the true lead. Hopper hogs that role for himself. I guess it's not the worst, but I'd avoid this one like the plague, honestly. It kind of sucked big, stanky ass. What was your take? Big, stanky ass? <laughs> You can tell we're watching a lot of ghetto films. Big stanky ass. Damn. Got a big stanky ass. The Red Fox. <laughs> that reminds me. One time I went to a birthday party at a, a gay friend's house. It was for his uh, birthday party. It was for his, his companion. Okay. And then his guy came in, and it was a buddy of his. He just came from the gym. And he says, oh, excuse me, friend. He smells like ass. I didn't know if like it meant like you were just fucked in it or what, but. <laughs> so, yeah, big stinky ass. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> well, we have to be a little off color with the show because there, there was know. a Red Fox album where it's like, you know, I can't take that stink or something. He's got like a picture, of, he's holding his nose, and there's like somebody's ass next to him. <laughs> well, you gotta clean your ass, you know. <laughs> That's what it was. You gotta clean. <laughs> yeah, if you take a shit, you gotta shower, you gotta clean your ass. You know, that was the otherwise, you're you not gotta gonna clean get that a, ass. You're not gonna get a rim job. You're much more. <laughs> Most guys enjoy that, right? Uh-huh. No girl's going to rim you out or a guy, you know, unless you got clean ass. Unless, if you got dirty ass, no, if somebody rims you out, it's like, I don't want to hear about it. You know, it's like this nasty shit. <laughs> so, yeah, when are we going to do a, a, a comedy album? <laughs> we have to do a comedy album, damn it. That's it. Oh, uh, where was it? Oh. <laughs> well, that was the thing about Ed I Level. You know, sometimes we were talking politics and just whatever, but mostly it was a comedy show. <laughs> Uh, James B. Harris worked with Kubrick as a producer. Lolita, The Killing, Pants of Glory, great films. Telephone, he was a producer. <laughs> and so he decided at some point to go into directing. He's a guy from Brooklyn, New York, and his films are kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, Maybe it was the Kubrick Association that got him the kind of talent that appears in his movies. But his movies always look like they were filmed dark and, and cheaper than they probably were, budget-wise. I remember I saw this, and I said, oh, my God, is Wesley Snipes taking a step back after Passenger 57? That was not the case, but I'm glad to see Rising Sun came after this. Yeah. We may come from a fragment in MTV rap video culture, but they do not. Every aspect of your appearance and behavior will reflect on you, the department, and me as your senpai. My senpai. That won't be anything like NASA now, would it? A Sean Connery production directed by Philip Kaufman, who gave us a 1978 invasion of the body snatchers and discussed in our Donald Sutherland show, with a screenplay by and based on a book from Michael Crichton. And despite doing shows on both Connery Beyond Bond and Michael Crichton, I don't believe we discussed it in either. 
Hey, you, quit loafing. Get the senator's car. What do you think we're doing? No, you get the senator's car. Wrong guy, wrong fucking century. Penguin-looking motherfucker. Let me smack this asshole. Harvey Keitel of Saturn Three, Bad Lieutenant, and the Dario Argento George Romero flop, Two Evil Lies, which is discussed in our very first show on Argento. Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa of Spellbinder, Twins, Kickboxer 2, The Perfect Weapon, Mortal Kombat, and License to Kill. And we talk a few of those in our Arnold Schwarzenegger and Trio of Bond shows. Mako of Conan the Barbarian and Never So Few, again discussed in our Schwarzenegger. Frank Sinatra, Steve McQueen, and Charles Bronson shows. Tia Carrera of the John Michael Thor Zombie Nightmare, Showdown in Little Tokyo, Wayne's World 1 and 2, and True Lies from our Schwarzenegger show. And Clyde Kusatsu of Airport 75, reviewed over at thirdscinema.wordpress.com. Meteor from our Sean Connery show. And Oh God from our Donald Pleasant show. All take part in this international corporate espionage-inflected murder mystery slash buddy cop film where investigators Snipes and the department's Japanese affairs expert Connery are looking into who killed a hooker during a big corporate acquisition blowout in L.A. It would appear that one of the big ones that the Japanese company strangled a hooker, and anyone who knows the Japanese know they have a serious fetish for big American blondes, during sex, but the clues and deaths keep piling up with the suspects shifting from one bigwig or politician to another. You can tell Crichton was involved due to the fetishization of technology, in this case the obnoxious corporate spying via video camera the company spearheads, and it's certainly glossy and somewhat terse. But while Snipes gets his moments, most of the screen time goes to Connery, and to a lesser extent, fellow investigator Keitel. All this talk a race all the time. Whatever happened to good and evil? What happened to he did it? A guy did it, you catch him. End of story. What do you think about this one? Probably not as good as uh, other later day Connery team-ups with other people. Uh, you know, I think he worked fine with Wesley Snipes. Uh, Terry Tagawa was <laughs> interesting to see him. I think his post-Mortal Kombat doing a nice leading role because he played villains really well. Ray Wise is in this. Uh, Stan Shaw from Apocalypse Now. Tia Carrere, a Hawaiian actress who could, tries to pull off any other Asian thing possible. Yes. <laughs> I've seen her as Filipinas. I've seen her as Chinese. Chinese. And does she has some bad Botox now? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I follow her on Instagram. like, is that you? What the hell did you do? I remember her from her Playboy days, even before she got into films. <laughs> nice lady, nice lady. Yeah, I met her, I talked to her. But in the last three years, she decided to do Botox Overkill. And like, you look like a balloon face girl. Oh, um, <laughs> I always think Botox is a bad idea. <laughs> based on a Michael Crichton book, which I actually read. Yeah, Peter Kaufman's a great director. I think, first of all, anything involving Sean Connery at this period in time means he calls shots uh, like the Presidio and I think like uh, trouble productions like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Connery calls shots here. Yep. So, contract. and I think one of the reasons why this movie just doesn't gel like it should, it doesn't move smoothly like it should. It's supposed to be a policier, but it just doesn't work right. It's just, something seems wrong with it. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, it should have been much better than it is. It's got some of the right feel. It's got Snipes great is fine. It's got Connery's fine. Yeah. Keitel is fine. It just, I don't know, it just didn't work. Yeah, but he, you know, Connery was a super, he was like a super force under the, as far as production goes. Like, no, he never got like those kind of credits, but he was like, no, no, yeah, we got to do it this way. So that kind of thing. Your favorite film of all time follows. Well, not that close, but yeah. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. 1993, Demolition Man. And now we come to not only my favorite Wesley Snipes film, but my favorite Sandra Bullock film, and my favorite Sylvester Stallone film, The Boot. 
Hell, this one actually turned out over the years to be one of my favorite and most quoted films of all time. So you were close, right after Conan the Barbarian. There's a great subtext that's at least very pro-libertarian freedom of individual speech and action and anti-suppression, if not pointing out the sheer asininity of political correctness, as if silencing free exchange of thought would somehow make people in the world any better than it actually is. The supposed, quote, utopia of Nigel Hawthorne's Dr. Carteau is actually a dystopia run by intrusive monitoring, self-driving cars, tickets given for cursing, and a generally wimpy populace unable to handle the slightest bit of chaos, much less the more unsavory and violent members of society. All tastes and aesthetics have gone straight out the window in favor of ugly, utilitarian Bauhaus construction, popular, quote, mini-songs on the radio that are actually commercial jingles, and the only restaurant still extant is fucking Taco Bell. They're also so, quote, green that they don't even use toilet paper in flushing toilets. He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. And paranoia about contagions like AIDS have brought the world to the point where they don't even fuck. They use sleeper-style, hallucinatory, orgasmatron-style devices where no bodily fluids are exchanged. It may seem peaceful and utopian at a very casual glance, but it's actually hell. Worse, Cateau is a psycho dictator who tampered with the cryogenically frozen maniac mass murderer slash terrorist Simon Phoenix, Snipes, to make him even more unstoppable, teaching him martial arts, computer hacking skills, and worse, while emasculating cop John Spartan, Stallone, who he managed to frame for an explosion and hostage kill that he had caused, and therefore was also cryo-frozen into being a sissy, basically, learning how to knit and all this metrosexual shit. The idea is that Coteau, who also made Snipes unable to hurt himself, could use Snipes and fellow cryo-lifers like Jesse Body Ventura, who actually became a uh, political figure after his wrestling career, to take down the Resistance, a group of post-apocalyptic, underground-dwelling free thinkers led by grumpy comedian and social critic of the era, Dennis Leary. The emasculated modern police force who don't carry weapons and are quite indoctrinated to the new, kinder, friendlier regime simply can't handle a force of chaos and anarchy like Phoenix getting killed off en masse without his batting more than an eyelash. So a 20th century fangirl and unofficial historian of the Department of Bullock's suggestion, they reluctantly unfreeze his nemesis Stallone, whose 20th century tough guy know-how is the only way they can take Phoenix and, as all is revealed, Coteau and company down. Now disillusioned with a politically correct and ineffectual world, they have no idea how to get by, so Stallone suggests they work with Leary and company to make a savvier, more capable world for all. Bullock is the incredibly winning Pollyanna-ish Lenina Huxley, yeah, I'm sure you caught all the obvious name illusions by now, who really digs the way things used to be back in the 70s and 80s, and tries really hard to do things properly despite being raised like a veal like everyone else in her generation. There's plenty of comedy and confusion as Stallone tries to adapt to this new emasculated milieu, and contrarily Bullock's to Stallone's blunt, brusque, blown up china shop ways, and lots of light-hearted but occasionally surprisingly bloody action business. This may be a sci-fi scenario, but it's a buddy cop film at core, and a damn good one at that. And so far as I'm concerned, all around, it's by far the best of them. I've loved this thing since my wife reintroduced it to me back in the late 90s, and despite having viewed it dozens of times on DVD and later Blu-ray, I still never get sick of it, and reference lines and themes from it often, as listeners to the old at level show are doubtless well aware. It's one of the main reasons I suggested to do a Snipe show, and one among many reasons I've been pushing to do a Senator Bullock show for years, as well as one of the main drivers behind doing a Stallone show a year or so back. So, you were not that far off when you said that in the beginning. It's not my favorite film ever, but it's definitely a, a really good one, and it's high up in my estimation. So what's your take? <laughs> well, <laughs> he said, well, uh, <laughs> what, what, what made me really curious about this movie, I remember when it was in production, was that the director had made commercials for fashion houses. Then he did videos. And he was just not really somebody they would entrust to like, 
$100 million film. I don't know what the hell happened here, but, you know, it's interesting. Even though he's Italian, Marco Brambilla or Brambilla, he had a definite different look on this kind of film. You know, this is uh, post Blade Runner by 10 years. And I like, I like, you know, like this and, and um, the one that he did with Kurt Russell. Um, what, Escape from New York? No, the one that's still on there with Kurt Russell, the... Um, I, I just saw it again, too. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, man. I should know fucking title of this thing. Tango and Cash. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this is around that time period, yo. He was doing these kind of pictures where he was willing to poke. Uh, Stallone was willing to poke fun at his own masculinity. Stop my mom will shoot. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm saying don't, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, but it's true. He was, you're right. And, you know, in, in the mid to the mid to late nineties, he looked really good. Y'all you eat know, his, you know, he's like, put him on fucking Mount, Mount Rushmore. This guy, you know, his, no, his face looked great. Y'all you know, all those beatings he took. I'm sure he took a lot of hits in all those Rocky movies. It's a strange movie, although I got, I got, I have to say, it's a, it's a strange fucking picture. So who greenlit this? (laughs) (laughs) No, because, you know, dystopian future and we have this muscle bound black evil dude. And and, okay. So did you just see the new trailer for the the next Ant-Man film? Quantum media. So Kang is the villain for the next Marvel phase as Portrayed by the guy who's in Creed 4, 3, who's just like big, giant, black dude. And it's like Jonathan Majors or something is his name. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. What they, I missed something. You know, this guy's scary as it is. So, yeah, anyway, so, yo, you got this just big belt. But, yo, Wesley's really, he's sly in this. He's got the really, he's got the quips. Mm-hmm. He's got the He's comp- funny as shit. And I think he's trying to ape Dennis Rodman or vice versa, probably vice versa. I think Robin got his ideas, you know, his look and his attitude from Simon Phoenix. <laughs> it could be. It could be. I get the, the supporting kid. Benjamin Bratt, fine. Uh, Bob Gutton, Glenn Shacks, all these familiar faces. David Patrick Kelly from the Warriors. Andre Gregory from My Dinner with Andre, our, the show that started us. Pretty much. I even spotted Dan Cortese in this, but he was kind of heavy and nobody else would. And you mentioned Sandra Bullock a couple of times. And normally... <sighs> I would be like, <laughs> but yeah, I married people like her. So <laughs> well, we're going to do a show on her. We are going to do a show on Sandra Bullock. And, and you know what? What the hell? Y'all, she's, she's perky. She's, uh, yep. Very perky, especially in this film. She's perky, spicy. And she's very much also, she doesn't take shit. And, and she knows when, when, when Stolen's character, Spartan, when the name is trying to like come on to her, she has great comebacks, which is a really interesting thing here. The, the uh, thing that really endears me here is that, to be quite honest and blunt, she is a hell of a lot like my wife, or at least how she used to be uh, for the first God knows, you know, 15, 20 years of my marriage here. So that kind of dynamic and that kind of persona bouncing back and forth like that, these two basic opposites that, you know, attract and manage to work out better together. That's, yeah, it's it's the same kind of dynamic. Is she still like so that? Like, oh, Is she wow. still like that, buddy? I hope so. <laughs> For the most part, yes. I mean, things have been, like, kind of rough lately just in the world, as you know. I think COVID kind of messed a lot of things mm. up. You know, she's just kind of needs to get the hell out of the house more and, uh, you know, a lot of things have changed, so there's not the same kind of stuff we used to be able to do. So it's not quite as perky and Pollyanna-ish as, like, I'm the Lena Huxley anymore. But 
she's that's still in there. She still comes out when she's in a good mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so oh, anyway. yeah, drop zone. I actually didn't see Sugar Hill, just so you know. Another gangster film. But Drop Zone, John Badham, who gave us my favorite screen, Dracula Save Lugosi's 1931 original, had declined to the point where he was dumping shit like this in our collective heads. Cute but crazy substance abuse casualty, Yessie Butler of Hard yeah. Target from a Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme show, and the only reason to watch Witchblade, the Cosby show's Malcolm Jamal Warner, weird teen Corin Nemec of The Stand from a Whoopi Goldberg show, and whack job Gary Busey of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot from our Clint Eastwood show, DC Cab and Eye of the Tiger, all clutter up this pointless shaky cam shit fest where Snipes and Warner are, much like Harrelson and Money Train, brothers with the same job and employer, this time Air Marshal is escorting a hacker to federal prison. Of course, some ex-DEA agent come terrorist wants him so they can pull a Donald Trump to hack all the info on undercover agents, <laughs> this time vice cops infiltrating drug rings, to sell to the Ruskies, I mean, the drug lords, so they can off the moles and our former president can make bank off it. I mean, so Busey can, excuse me. All these direct parallels to filmic terrorists and crime laws are so confusing given their, uh, I mean, Republican Republicans stranglehold in our government at all levels. It gets so confusing, I know. Anyway, the rest of the film is Snipes and Warner, with the help of Snipes' ex-con gal pal and skydiving school proprietress Butler, learning the ins and outs and figuring out the approximate drop zone Trump and his cronies, damn it, did it again, spirited the hacker off to, and end the compromise and mass murder of undercover spies, I mean vice cops, everywhere. Like so many Snipes films from the mid-90s forward, it sounds a whole hell of a lot more fun and exciting on paper than it ever actually is. Butler is smoking hot as she was in all her roles around this time. But while Snipes is trying to take this like another Passenger 57, this ain't that film by a long shot. What's your take? Yeah, it's not as good as Passenger 57. Some of the good sky jumping stuff is pretty cool, though. John Badham's never, never, you know, he did uh, Blue Thunder, War Games, just off the top of my head. The guy had Dracula, yes. The guy, the guy had a fucking pebble and snow rolling down the hill, turned into a fucking avalanche. <laughs> and then at some point in time, he like was quiet. Then he started doing, you know, for hire kind of stuff. Like this. Which, yeah, because you would never assume it would be cheesy. The cast is okay, but it's edging on has-beens or soon-to-be, and it's just filled with too many drug casualties. You know, I, I used to, you know, you mentioned Yancey Butler a couple of times, and I used to have a thing for her. And then, oh, you know, she was a huge fucking cocaine head, and she got fired, and, and I think it even caused the cancellation. Oh, which place, yep. That was the the they had a lot of trouble with her. And and where is she now? If she's not dead, uh, you know. I think she's still around, in... but she's probably blacklisted. <laughs> blacklisted, sucking some dick in L.A. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, and Gary Busey when he was still cognizant. Yeah. You know, I don't we know. all know what happened to him recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all know what happened to him. So yeah, he's in this. And, you know, Gary's at the point where he's like okay-ish, but. It's just like, if it feels like it could have been uh, maybe another Passenger 57, but no, it wasn't. But next film is very interesting. Yeah, next one came out of the blue, honestly. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmore. I remember the first time I laid eyes on a certain ebony enchantress in the rough, and how through styling and the occasional makeup tip, I helped her look just a little less like Mom's Mabley. Who the hell would have ever thought that then-huge names like Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo, not to mention a supporting cast that includes Robin Williams, Future World's Blythe Danner from our Peter Fonda show, Naomi Campbell, and Grease's Stocker Channing, in a 90s comedy with the leads in full drag throughout, spotting catty lines like, Well, ladies, it looks like that age-old question, style or substance? 
This absurd but fun picture attempts to reach a very mainstream audience with some of the flat-out fabulous gay-centric content the nation had seen to that point, bar occasional art house pictures like La Caja Faux, Can't Stop the Music, and Wigstock. Nowadays, Middle America is likely very familiar with stuff like Queer as Folk and RuPaul's Drag Race, but back when this film came out, this seemed like a sure ticket to career suicide. Surprisingly, this comedic take on the Easy Rider scenario was actually a big hit theatrically, and its director, a Briton of no notable credits, was actually given the OBE, proven alongside Sir Elton John, that they were just giving knighthoods to any fucking buddy at this point in history. Probably the direct inspiration for the aforementioned RuPaul reality show competition, this one features the action film and romantic lead heroes winning one hosted by that very queen in New York City, winning a shot at a national competition in L.A. They drive across country in a crappy old Cadillac which breaks down some backwards Midwestern whistle stop, but not before a good old boy cop tries to wangle sex out of them getting knocked out for his troubles. So they spend a weekend getting involved with and perhaps inadvertently trying to better everyone's situations, like the abused wife of the place they wind up staying in, who Swayze beats up in turn, I should say the husband, who Swayze beats up in turn, and opening their world a bit to accept people who don't look, dress, or think exactly like themselves. I'm not going to worry about it if people accept me or not. I'm going to make Hollywood wherever I'm at. It's harmless and a bit by the book, but there are some great lines, and it's always satisfying to see shitheads get dropped when I try to step up the folks who just won't lie down and take it. There's a dash of high noon, a touch of Spartacus, and a whole lot of wig stock. What's not to like? It's no great film for the ages, but it's likable enough. What's your take? It's an amazing movie, man. You know, <laughs> I, 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 my hat off to these guys. Oh, Godzilla's back. Run! <laughs> so, we don't need Godzilla, too. Uh, so, yeah, that's another thing. So, anyway, so... <laughs> it's bugging me, man. We're going to die. So, Juwang uh, Fu, thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. That's a tongue twister. Or maybe it was intentional, like, fill your mouth up. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, At, like my uh, one chiropractor said, oh, just put a dick in your mouth already. <laughs> about somebody we were talking about that was closeted. <laughs> Get it over with. I hope this is somebody you recommended to me. <laughs> Actually, it is. Oh, great, great, thanks. <laughs> there you go. Are you feeling pain, Mr. Paul? I think I can help you. Let go! <laughs> he is remarried, so. Yeah, now he's the father figure. Last time he was married to the father figure. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, sure, closet, guys. <laughs> so, anyway, so. This movie is just simply terrific. <laughs> Why there haven't been more of these, and there have been a lot less in, in recent years, is uh, kind of puzzling. Because with the relaxation in attitudes, on one end, you know, I, 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 I'm surprised we haven't seen more of this. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, that guy tried to do that Boys, the, the gay rom-com recently, and yeah. he was going on like, I don't understand why he's not making any money. Well, you know, you're marketing it to the Midwest, and in the age of Donald Trump, it's not really going to happen. Yeah, the age of Donald Trump. Yeah. Pig boy. <laughs> so, this... <laughs> Yo, Snipes, Swayze, Legazamo, great supporting cast. <laughs> Yo, it, it, and... Julie Newmore as herself. <laughs> Very brief cameo at the end. It's a brief cameo, but it needed to be in there because yeah, of course. all movies about Julie Newmore. <laughs> well, sort of, yeah. Sort of, yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's got <laughs> the, the music. <laughs> I mean, like when, when Tom Jones, she's the lady. She's the lady. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Commodore's. Bleak. 
house. <laughs> yeah, you know, like fuck. When it, when it, when I go when I when I used to when I used to go to <laughs> wait, let me rephrase this. When I used to go to New York Public Library Christmas parties, like ninety nine percent of everybody was gay. <laughs> the music was like the Weather Girls, and it was like we're gonna play Breakhouse. Like, right, let's see if I can dance <laughs> this shit, you know. I hope they had some French Jolie, otherwise it's not a real. Oh no, they did. They did. <laughs> okay. Yes, there yes. I go. was tired by the time I left. I don't really dance, but I was like, ah, "Fuck, I'm drunk." So, <laughs> French Jolie, Grace Jones. Uh... <laughs> it's a thing, man. That's it. But this, you know, seriously though, this this busted open. Oh yeah, especially at the time, it was like you didn't see anything like this before that. You didn't see anything like this, you know, especially not in the mainstream. It busted open the, the doors. You know, I, I, I'm glad it did as well as it did because I think people like, well, then again, that opens up a whole nother issue. I'm sure a truck driver's like, they're driving us on to Wild Flu. Who was it we were just talking about? Oh, is Eddie Murphy when well, he got busted for going after training hookers? Yeah, which is not a secret. <laughs> right, right. But, but no, that, it's, it's, hey, you know what? They know how to suck dick really good. Come on. I, I, not that I know from personal experience. I heard it from a friend. Hey, look, nobody knows how to suck a guy's dick but another guy, so I heard. But not that I've ever experienced this. But, but if this was the movie that made you might want to consider it, then go for it and watch it. And it'll make you laugh. Yeah, it will make you laugh. <laughs> I think you're going to okay. piss your pants during the show, all right? Uh, I'm already going red face from laughing here, but okay. Uh, money train. So, money train, yes. 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Next segue. Uh, that, that report says your brothers, but you, sir, are a Negro. He is white. Is someone trying to jack me off? White man can't jump. There you go. See? 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 <laughs> There he goes, a segue, you're right. Uh, white Man Can't Jump, Doofy co-star Woody Harrelson, is Snipes' foster brother and fellow New York City transit cops, just like my grandfather, actually. Robert Blake of Busting from our Elliot Gould show, Beretta, an alleged wife murderer, is there obnoxious <laughs> racist... <laughs> uh, this is true, folks, I don't make this up. Uh, it... <laughs> an alleged there... wife murderer? That's <laughs> a little segment squeeze out in there. Is their obnoxious racist boss who really has an in for them? And In Loving Color Fly Girl, star of Gigi from our Al Pacino show, and better half of Benefer Mark 1 and 3, Jennifer Lopez, is the new undercover transit cop they're both hot for, but naturally, Snipes is the one she fucks. Would you really expect any different between those two? The film is seriously confused. So they're transit cops, right? And there's this whole goofy mock fighting and ribbing close brothers buddy cop dynamic between the two, similar to what they had in White Man Can't Jump. And there's this subplot about this subway serial killer who goes around setting people on fire, but that gets resolved pretty early on. Because the real story here is that they're both crooked. Woody is a gambler in debt to the mob, so they plan to hijack the subway train hauling New York City transit profits so they get the money to pay off the bone breakers who keep roughing Woody up. So, cops and brothers, but they keep sabotaging each other and getting each other in trouble, and they're pulling a heist just to get out of their debt to criminals, and we're supposed to find all this hilarious? What? I don't know what to say about this one. Yeah, it's still from the mid-90s, so it's not unwatchable crap like Bullet Train. Oh, my God, what the fuck were they thinking with that piece of shit? But other than some visual appeal from Lopez and Snipes and Harrelson's undeniable chemistry, this one really sucks a major ass. And wait, things will get much worse. Did you say major ass? Yes. What, what, what about? <laughs> I said this film really sucks a major ass. Oh, don't you? 
referring to somebody. Okay, let's go. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I like big butts and I cannot lie. Oh, that's not <laughs> All right, so money trained Joseph Rubin, who did, uh, oddly enough, he did Dreamscape and Stepfather, and if nothing else, he'll be remembered for those kind of really strange movies that really got the audience interest in the back in the 80s and 90s. So they built this as like a reunion of the uh, white men can't jump guys. But, you know, I saw this for the show and I I had seen it before. And I was like, you know, it's, it's rather unlikable. I can't wrap my mind around what I didn't like about it. And Chris Cooper, which is funny because he he was kind of like this nondescript uh, second build guy. And he, he he's, he's a good actor performing in a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the uh, Bourne movies. I remember as I was living with a girl at the time. She goes, you know who you remind me of? I'm like, who, baby? Chris Cooper. That fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway. So, The Fan. Did you see The Fan? Yeah. Did you see The Fan? Yes. So, 1996, The Fan. Style over substance man Tony Scott of The Hunger and Beverly Hills Cop 2 from our Eddie Murphy show, Robert De Niro of Showtime from our Eddie Murphy show, Jackie Brown from our Pam Greer show, Angel Heart from our Charlotte Rampling show, and Heat from our Al Pacino show, once again trots out his Travis Bickle for this ponderously dull stalking opus. De Niro is yet again a total loser who has a restraining order on him from his wife and is a baseball-obsessed freak who lives vicariously through his favorite player, Snipes. When Snipes has a rough patch... De Niro kidnaps his rival on the team and kills him, eventually worming his way into Snipes' life and blackmailing him into scoring a homer before tackling him, he's finagled his way on field as an umpire, and resulting in his demise. Roll credits. License to kill Thor the Dark World and Guardians of the Galaxy Man Benicio Del Toro from our trio of Bond shows and our two shows on Marvel superhero films. John Leguizamo, most notable as the deluded Republican-supporting moron from Romero's Land of the Dead, and Luigi from Super Mario Brothers and sexy Ellen Barkin of Sea of Love, The Big Easy, and Switch all waste their time on this stinker. It must have been for the cash. Terrible shit, poorly shot with handheld nausea-inducing camera and unnecessary zooms, and a complete piece of crap all around. What did you think about it? I know you like De Niro a lot. I do like De Niro, and and, and uh, I, this is not one of my favorite De Niro films. Um, there was a picture made about uh, 15 years earlier with uh, Michael Bean and Lauren Bacall called The Fan. And I think in a way this was maybe a, a thinly veiled remake of that. That was a better film. That was more like a stalker slasher. That was more like a stalker slasher thing. You know, when, when it's funny, you because know, Bobby De Niro around this time period, you know, he's getting older as we all do. And it started, it's, it, right away off the gate, it's like, you know, we should have cast somebody a little younger because now it's like a middle-aged man stalking someone younger. You know, it's like, yeah. You know, uh, it, it, it has an interesting supporting cast, but, and I like Tony Scott films for the most part. Not everyone, not all of them, but I, I, I think he just kind of was biting off more than he could chew, you know, to, to like coin a phrase. It's just like, it's just not working. Next. So, next up, 1997, Murder at 1600. Mm. Dwight Little of Nico Mastarakis's Bloodline, when you can hear about that in my career-like chat with Nico over at Third Eye Cinema, Halloween 4 and Steven Seagal's Mark for Death drops one of the comparatively more watchable films in Snipes' post-Demolition Man career. 
Snipes is a homicide cop whose home was about to be demolished thanks to eminent domain. Also, some corporate asshole can make it a parking lot. This actually happened to two whole streets of my old town. I knew some folks who got the below market value check from the government and had to go find a new state to live in. Eminent domain is bullshit. Anyway, there's a very 2022 situation where North Korea has a few U.S. citizens hostage, and they're riding the president, Alan Alda, the archetype of the 70s-sensitive new man, and star of both the Mephisto Waltz from a Jackie Visit show and Canadian Bacon, who's trying to get them released without causing a war while the Republicans make a huge issue out of it to scam their way back into full power. Nah, no parallels here. Then things go out into left field. Apparently the president's son was banging a White House secretary who wound up dead. After a bunch of red herrings and people getting off right before they could speak out, it turns out the head of the NSA had her killed so he can get the president to resign, and the VP, who's in cahoots with him, can take power and start that war with North Korea. Swell folks, these right wing fucks. Diane Lane of Kenny Rogers' family-friendly flop, Six Pack, which was actually the last film <laughs> the last film to play the last standing drive-in in the tri-state area, up in the Nyack area by the jack in a box as I recall. Nigel Bennett, homoerotic father-figure love interest from the excellent Forever Night. Sandra Bullock x Tate Donovan of her Love Potion Number no. 9, and the Don Johnson vs. MAGA epic Debt Bang. Ronnie Cox of our Burt Reynolds show's Deliverance, The Car, and Hollywood Vice Squad. An asshole right-winger, Dennis Miller of Disclosure, from Michael Crichton show all up here. <laughs> but it's one of the last times, at least till Expendables 3, Snipes actually seems somewhat animated and invested in the role. Oh. It's slow and only somewhat engaging, but things turn a hell of a lot worse after this. I saw this funny thing. Every time I would turn it on Netflix, this would pop up, pop up, pop up. My wife would say, oh, let's watch this. this you know, it reminds me of the Hallmark, yeah. Hallmark Channel kind of thing, but not quite. You know, it's, it's it's okay. It's engaging up to a point. Not terrible. But U.S. Marshals, you saw, right? I did not see. The next one I saw was Future Sports. So go ahead if you want to hit that one. Yeah, U.S. Marshals was uh, the sequel to The Fugitive. That big hit. Oh, uh, who is that? Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, Robert Downey Jr., and a bunch of other motherfuckers. <laughs> and this was uh, the sequel, but Harrison Ford didn't want to come back or whatever the story was. So the... Uh, Maybe he didn't want to get involved with all the coke again <laughs> with everybody else in that cast. <laughs> yeah, so Wesley Snipes became the guy, different guy, different character that Tommy Lee Jones is after. Robert, Robert Downey Jr., right around the period that Robert Downey Jr. was kind of wishy-washy to be kind. And it's kind of a fun fucking cast, though. I mean, you got, you know, he's like... Joe Pantoliano, who oh, I love this guy. I, I, I loved him in the Will Smith, um, those pictures he did with... Uh, what, Men in Black? No, no, the the, we, the the cops with Martin Lawrence. Oh, my God. Bad Boys? Bad Boys. I love those Bad Boys. They're so <laughs> over the top. Damn. I could do a show on Bad Boys 1, 2, and 3, and then like people would be exhausted. So, you know, Joe Pantoliano, Daniel Roebuck, who's trying to get a career, poor guy. Um, <laughs> he's a likable guy, but you're painting shit movies. So it's nowhere near as good as The Fugitive, but it's, it's a fun action film. I think people were turning out to see uh, The Fugitive 2 and said, like, is the black guy playing Harrison Ford? But no, it's not, not quite. <laughs> so, Blade. We're going to do Blade next? Oh, no, I'm actually doing Future Sport next. Blade's afterwards. Where the hell is that? Well, it's a television film. He, and he's also the producer on it, believe it or not. 
It was an ABC mm-hmm. TV movie with then hot com- right, yes. with then hot commodity and the world's worst Superman, Dean Kane, as a sub rollerball futuristic jock who finds that he, ex Vanessa Williams, and former coach Snipes have to stop a PLO style group from inciting another world war. With shitty Back to the Future meets roller derby slash rollerblade sports. It's made for TV, so it's bloodless and stupid, and Williams looks pretty old here. She's aged a lot since her penthouse spreads beauty queen scandal and short lived pop career. Snipes is very much a side character, looking like a pimp with dreadlocks and a Matrix-style leather trench coat, and he really only seems to be in the film to, quote, protect Williams while Kane does whatever the hell he's doing. My drummer used to do this hilarious shtick where he said he could write a kickboxing film, and he'd recite all the tropes and variations, just like rattle them off, since he'd seen so many watching late-night paid cable like HBO. And what was the futuristic cyborg ones? I know Van Damme did Cyborg and Donna Dragon Wilson and even former soap star Gone Renegade and would-be action film star Lorenzo Lamas did a few, like Future Kick, Cyber Tracker, and Bounty Tracker, but there's a lot of those. Guess what this one was trying to be? A super safe, no TNA, no blood, no real violence version of... Yeah, it's easily passable, but I figure it's worth mentioning since I saw it. <laughs> you didn't see it, though, right? No, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't see this one. Iris Dickerson is a director of some good stuff, some very good stuff, some very, yeah, yeesh stuff, you know. And Yeah, Dean Cain has become the poster child for Trump millennia. He's one of those guys, like conven- even convention people, like, I'm not sure I want to book you at my show because you're a fucking sick Trump psychopath. Yep. And you could leave that in. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so next up, 1998, Blade. He's also the producer and the martial arts choreographer on this one. What you got down there, little man? Someone tells old major crush Tracy Lords in a red-headed Asian-style long hair and bangs in the very first minute of what was one of the very first Marvel superhero films, squeezing some doofy schlub sausage like a butcher right before luring him to a vampire dance club that's more rave than Forever Night's more apropos goth club. Blood sprays the crowd from the sprinklers, fangs come out, and he knows he's fucked. In walks Wesley Snipes' version of an obscure character whose few appearances were as one of at least a dozen recurring bit players in Marvel Wolfman and Gene Cullen's long-running Tomb of Draco series, here made into a bona fide power player. Snipes manages to make what was then a somewhat strident and shrug-of-the-shoulders attempt to increase the then-rare black representation in comics. I mean, yeah, there was Luke Cage Power Man, the Black Panther, Black Goliath, and Black Lightning, plus a handful of supporting characters like alternate Green Lantern John Stewart, Iron Fist Girlfriend and Daughter of the Dragon Misty Knight, and a few baddies like Batman's Black Spider, Wonder Woman's Nubia, Richard Dragon's Bronze Tiger, and Shang-Chi's adopted brother Midnight. But guess what? Not even a dozen out of hundreds, if not thousands, of heroes and villains in Marvel and DC throughout the 60s and 70s. Into a cool, take-no-prisoners anti-hero along the lines of a far less psychotic Punisher. Chris Christopherson, Rita Cool, just singer-songwriter boyfriend and star of Sam Peckinpah's Convoy, revitalized a long, moribund career as weapons man and psychic Whistler, and even Udo Kier of the Warhol, D'Alessandro, Flesh for Frankenstein, and Blood for Dracula, Argento Suspiria, John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns and Uwe Ball's Blood Rain, and two of those obviously from our Dario John Carpenter shows, shows up for a scene or two. Directed by No Credits director Stephen Norrington, his little four or five credits other notable entry is the much-despised League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from our Sean Connery show. The actual plot of this one is utterly nonsensical, but it doesn't matter. The visuals are a bit dated. You can tell it was filmed around the same time as The Matrix and House of the Dead. But Snipes, Christopherson, and Kira lend a surprising gravitas and credibility to what otherwise should have been direct-to-video garbage along the lines of Man-Thing. It was a big hit, and while there have been much better films in the genre in the subsequent flood of such, it still holds up pretty damn well, like a slightly less wild Constantine, and both films we discussed in the first of our two Marvel superhero film shows. Constantine, it's funny you mention that, because 
They're doing they're another doing one. Yes, I heard about that. With the same director and star. I'm like, nice. Go for I it. I bet they're not going to use what's his face from Bush anymore. What was that guy's name? Gavin Rossdale. <laughs> I, I didn't, no, it's 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 Keanu. Yeah, well, remember he was Lucifer. That's what I'm saying. That. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Bush was a long time ago, folks. That was the late '90s. You never know. <laughs> Hold on, who's calling me? Scam likely. Oh yeah, let me answer that call. <laughs> Hi, your your car insurance is overdue. I don't have a fucking car, bastard. I, I look at always the want... car insurance thing. Oh, your warranty's almost due. I need someone from China. It's like it's a number I don't recognize. And I keep blocking the numbers oh. in the phone, and then another one pops up, and it's the same shit. I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, you too? Yeah, it's a weird life. So, Blade, strangely, it's a fun film. He's great. Who thought? Chris Christopherson? I love Chris Christopherson. I mean, the guy goes way back, you know, beyond the country stuff. We mentioned him in a couple of shows as an actor. He's a, he's a real, God bless him, he's a real American. Um, like Hulk Hogan? I am a real American. No, he's a real American singer, songwriter, actor. I mean, he's 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 like the thing, you know. And the day we lose Chris Christopherson, it's going to be like almost like Johnny Cash because he's Chris. Chris has been around for hey, a long time. Yes, they got apparently it's Jeff Bridges. I, I, I asked my wife, is is that Chris Christopherson? I saw that. I sh- I, I shared Doesn't that. does he look like Chris Christopherson now? <laughs> yeah, but 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 what 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 Jeff is sharing is that take your anti- get your shots, <laughs> get your antibodies because he's trying to share to people. You know, he had cancer, and he had COVID on top of that. And he's telling he's trying to do these things these these things on Facebook or whatever. Get your fucking shots. Yeah. And, you know, lot, you know, I still got a lot of friends like, I'll not get my shots. I didn't get sick and you'll be dead in two weeks. All right. So, next. Yeah, like uh, Eric Wagner from Trouble. <laughs> no, no it, it happens. People are so crazed with this shit. Like, Joe Biden says, what the fuck is wrong with you, Joe Biden? Do you know who started this shit? Hello? Anyway. Yeah, so, exactly. Sorry, 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 folks. Did you finish up with Blade yet? Or? No, no, I'm not done. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought we were on a tangent with Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, messy. it's like messy. I'm coming all over the place. So, Tracy Lords, <laughs> yes, that Tracy Lords is, mm-hmm. is, is in this. Udo Kier, you know, Chris Christopherson is absolutely terrible. Stephen Dorff is pretty fine in this, too. It's a, it's a fine picture. Who knew that this would have such gravitas, such meaning? And would actually be like one of the the first and big Marvel pictures. Art of War, you saw? Yes. yes. So, 2000, Art of War. He's also the executive producer on this one, by the way. Do you ever watch wrestling? Because this is just like wrestling. It's reality mixed with illusion, mixed with bullshit, mixed with big scary guys from parts unknown in dire need of psychiatric care. So upon is the greatest of Nero Wolves, the late Maury Chaikin, who we spoke to in our Richard Harris show for High Point, in this kinetic, low-budget action picture featuring a number of fading stars and familiar faces like Ann Archer of Good Guys Wear Black from our Chuck Norris show, Donald Sutherland, who we did a whole show on, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa, who we last encountered in Red Sun, James Hong of everything from the Satan Bug and Blade Runner to Ninja 3 The Domination, and the bizarre Luciano Pavarotti comedy Les Giorgio, and we covered him at least for Mission in Action and Tango and Cash in our Chuck Norris and Sylvester Stallone shows, if not more. Director Christian Dugay, 
most notable credits were the enjoyable of cheesy Scanners 2 and 3, and this muddled, ill-explained mess of a political intrigue slash spy film is a good reason why its name remains unknown. So far as any linear plot can be sussed out of this, for some bizarre reason the Americans want China to take over our stock market, remember this is 22 years ago, and are trying to ensure a historic trade deal goes through. Unfortunately, some folks don't want this and start murdering folks and framing corporate bigwigs to derail it. Snipes is an agent who also gets framed. For some unknown reason, the triads are taking out UN translators like the perpetually pissed off Marie Matiko. Chaykin tries to tail her as protection, but she rebuffs him. Snipes kidnaps her to serve as translator. Why he needed her and not any translator is never really explained, except that, quote, she used to work for Ambassador James Hong for a long time. Uh-huh. He makes her strip in the car because she says she's bugged, then handcuffs her to the steering wheel while he investigates a weird pansexual strip joint under a warehouse. Wouldn't you? So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if I just would change to the car naked, I would probably be doing something with her and not worrying uh, about it. Wes, Wesley might have been hanging out with, like, Eddie Murphy at this point. You know, we're all like, <laughs> there you go. I, I, I'm going to strip and, 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 like, tie the Asian hottie to the car, but I'm going to investigate the transsexual hot joint. Yeah, okay. What was that place you were telling me in the city, like P.F. Chang's or something, some diner that, in the basement they had, like, a tranny club? Oh no, BF Chang's is in the is in the uh, Midtown West Side. Oh, the 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 Trini Diner. If you guys really want to know, I will give you the address and I'll send it to you. And you know, I'm not responsible for anybody who wants to investigate and like find their ass hurting and they say. Or uh, what were you talking about? Having ice cubes drop down their ass and spanked? <laughs> I saw this. This was like a straight guy. This was like. Uh, well, he said he was straight. Yeah, ex-husband of, <laughs> uh, ex-husband of uh, an ex-girlfriend's sister. The next thing I know, he's like, bending over on like these hot Asian trannies who are like, pouring ice cubes and melting them and licking his ass. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I, not, not, not oh, fuck, like I was getting excited, but like, oh, fuck, like, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's a good place to go if you want to see Asian trains. So, like, it's Lucky Chang's. Look it up, guys. Um, so, anyway. But if, anyway, the Eddie Murphy spot is a diner on – where was that? Because you, you asked me. You brought it up. <laughs> you brought it up for uh, show. <laughs> it's on uh, 43rd, 44th, and uh, 10th Avenue. There you go, folks. You want to explore your boundaries, your sexuality. There's a a diner, and uh, there's around the corner from the diner, there's an entrance, and I'm not responsible what happens to you, so do not text us. (laughs) Well, anyway, Mm. while he... By the uh, way. While he uh, (laughs) ties this naked uh, UN translator up to his car and goes and checks out this weird pansexual strip joint, Southern and Archer... Here we go again, see... (laughs) So an archer fret a lot. Who the fuck knows what's going on? Asshole, I hope you rotten shit for eternity. In some ways, it seems to be attempting the typical modern spy film, along the lines of anything from Red Sun to Mission Impossible to Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Salt. Just without any real action, zero thrills, and with bad swooping handheld camera work and random zooms and quick cuts. It doesn't look awful visually, but the fact remains that there's no logical plot. Events don't connect, and this is true. I had to sit through major portions of this one three times over the course of three separate days and still couldn't make heads or tails out of this disaster piece. It's a big fucking mess, and when the best I can that you have is not only unlikable, but afflicted with perpetual PMS, Houston, we have a problem. Abort, abort. Unbelievably, there was a sequel with a different cast and director, Save Snipes. 
Well, Christian Gugway uh, did a couple of these scanners pictures, like three, four, five, whatever. They were fun, three, stupid. Four. They're fun, but stupid. So the Canadian director, and you know, I'm sure it's Canadian production. Yes, it was. And, you know, you got Donald Sutherland, Ann Archer, Michael Bean, Carrie Tagawa, that guy, James Hong, recently got a Walk of Fame thing. Yes, like I saw that. Yeah, did you know he did porn? Probably not. I think Jamie part. Lee Curtis was the one that, that was standing there clapping for him or like gave him the award. Yes, she was. <laughs> I'm loving Jamie Lee. That's, what I'm like, That's why I agreed to do the show. I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Let's do one for her. <laughs> yeah, J- Jamie Lee Curtis is like, no, you're fucking like bouncing around doing all kinds of weird shit. She's supporting all kinds of crazy people. <laughs> yeah, this is okay. Not quite as good as you want it to be. Yeah. A nice thing was Blade 2. Yes, Blade 2. Well, also, producer and fight coordinator on this one. The Linda Hamilton Beauty and the Beast large-faced Ron Perlman, your buddy Norman Reedus as a Whistler protege, and the Stendhal Syndrome and Draco 3D's Thomas Kretschmann, who we discussed <laughs> both of those in our Dario Gentle show, all appear the latter as a particularly awful head vampire. Even Donnie Yen, who co-starred with Michelle Yeoh and Wing Chung and Butterfly and Sword, Maggie Chung and Choi Hark's Dragon Inn, and Yun Wu Ping's Iron Monkey appears, muster all of them as the baddies turn reluctant allies to kill off some mutant strain of mad vampires that actually turn out to be the result of Kretschmann's work run amok. Directed by the wildly overpraised Guillermo de Toro, this is an unnecessarily gruesome outlier in the Blade series, with a middling cast that seemed to appeal to fans who hated the first and third films, but to be disliked to detest it by those who enjoyed them, and I'm very much one of those. Skimming through it again for the show, I find it generally wasn't as hard as I remembered it being at the time of release, but it still feels very off. Del Toro put me off immediately with his bizarre Kronos and weird, unlikable follow-ups like Hellboy, The Devil's Backbone, and Pan's Labyrinth, so I never warmed to him. In more recent years, he mellowed in the excessive blood squibs and unrelenting grim and gritty bullshit to take the helm from Peter Jackson for the three Hobbit films. How the hell you stretch a single book into three films is a whole other story. Rankin Bass did it better in one short animated film, but then you can say the same about Peter Jackson and Ralph Bakshi, so hey. Either way, I dislike the guy's work to the point where I generally just tell folks he sucks, though obviously he has some skills beneath all the ugliness he loves to wallow in. I never liked this one, and I still think it's by far the least of the three, but people love it. So what's your take? Give me a minute. My cat is doing crazy shit. Uh, <laughs> I was giving some balloons for my birthday, and I tied up the strings, and my cat is trying to eat the strings. Unbeknownst to me, I look over, and my cat jumped to a plate, a place you would not imagine a cat can jump to, but they're cats. <laughs> and she was eating the uh, strings for the balloons. Yeah, I, you know, that's not good. So I'm like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> he ran away like, he's doing bad things to me. Like, get the fuck out <laughs> I won't go to the vet tomorrow. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so sorry about that. It was like, just yeah. looking over there like, hey, you're really quiet. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's those of us who have cats. Strange things can happen. So. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't know if you heard my mewing away before, and I'm constantly blocking him from walking across the laptop. Yeah. That. Where are we next? Oh, you did you do Blade 2 yet? I don't think you did. Oh, I oh did. you did. I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got I got waylaid by the balloons and the cat. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> uh, Chris Christopherson, again, really shows, you know, like his, uh, you know, he started out in like weird counterculture movies, you know, besides being a singer-songwriter of note, and... Before he worked with Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and 
going, you know, doing his own stuff. He did some really great counterculture movies. And it's it's funny, after all these years, like somebody's decided to like cast him in the first blade in this one. And it's like, hey, you know what? That grizzled old man country buster thing where he is like the fatherly figure to to Blade is like it works for me, you know. It's like yeah, he's so good, you know, and, and uh some of the supporting cast I'm mean, not so keen on as opposed to the first picture. It's much more of a European production. And here's the thing. Guillermo del Toro, who a lot of people love, mm-hmm. and I run hot and cold on, depending on the film. Some of his movies I, I really like. I really enjoy Mimic. It's freaky as hell. And there's a couple other pictures. I don't like everything he does. I don't love everything he does. I'm not one of those guys. You're a lot better off than I am. I didn't like anything he did. Yay. He's not, he's not, he's not Spike Lee, right? No, no hell no. <laughs> but David S. Goyer, what a name. Hi, Goyum. Hi. <laughs> Did you go to school when you were growing up? <laughs> I mean, this guy has written consecutively some of the worst fucking screenplays. <clears throat> I don't care if it's like Italian, Jewish, Yugoslavian, fucking Lithuanian. David Goyer, dude, d- d- go suck dick in a training bar because, like, <laughs> Your screenplays are, like, universally loathed by, like, the entire community of anybody that's into fandom. <laughs> but I'm not saying that. So, <laughs> and still the guy gets, like, still I see, like, what a screenplay by David S. Goyer. Yeah, hello, who fucking okay this? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I, I, do, I did enjoy this much more than Blade 3. There's some interesting people and this yeah not as strong as the first blade film but it's still not terrible i'll put it at that all right so 2004 blade trinity and he's the producer on this one as well the screenwriter for blade and sadly enough blade 2 takes over directing as well for this final installment. i know i just talked about this fuck Mm -hmm. where blade is framed for the murder of a human renfield type and on the run from cops and media christopherson's whistler is killed off by fbi agents and snipes is arrested He's broken out and abetted by then-ubiquitous sex symbol Jessica Biel, who went on to hook up with boy band veteran Justin Timberlake, and Deadpool, Green Lantern, and The Proposal's Ryan Reynolds. This is actually his first real film. Nobody ever heard of him until his jokey sidekick role here. Parker Posey, the weird but kind of hot girl from the Doom generation, and a bunch of other oddball pseudo-artsy films of that era, is the lead vampire here, who unearths the original vampire. No, not Akasha and Marius, but Dracula, here weirdly referred to as Drake. WWE's new co-chair and former NXT creative head, Triple H, appears as one of the lunk wrestler sidekicks they love to cast around his time, like that guy Taylor Mayne in X-Men, or Jesse the Body Ventura in Demolition Man and Abraxas. And ubiquitous comic release sideman Patton Oswalt is on hand as well. It's not exactly Blade level, but it's a damn sight better than that weird bloody detour into shitfest land that was Blade too. Despite a seriously campy performance from Heatwave, Mick Rory himself, Dominic Purcell of Legends of Tomorrow, as the resurgent Dracula. It's not as awful as Gary Oldman and Coppola's Dracula or Jared Leto as Morbius, but it's pretty bad, and I like the guy in Legends. That said, he proves an honorable enough enemy in the end, respecting Snipes' blade and his mission enough to pose as him before dying to leave the cops thinking their target is dead so he can go on with it. Not top-tier superhero cinema, but we've all seen so much worse. The last two Thor films and Moon Knight come immediately to mind there. It's got merits, particularly a few smoking hot ladies and some wise-ass cracks from Reynolds and Oswald on live in the proceedings. 
I always kind of liked this one. Everybody hates it, but I was like, no, it's better than Blade 2. <laughs> so what's your take? Well, I thought Blade 2 was better than Blade 3. I don't dislike Ryan Reynolds. You know, I, I, I gotta I got say, I, I never really paid attention to him. I did. And, and you know, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, he did Deadpool, and, you know, I wasn't really paying attention. I said, oh, I like this. Yeah, that first Deadpool is great. Yeah, and, and, and all the Deadpools are great because you had the smoking hot dead, not dead girl from... Marina or, Backron from Firefly. We did a whole show on Firefly. Oh, Colonel cool. Brown Coast. Don't mention her name. Oh, my I God. I love that one. I love that uh, one. I'm too excited. <laughs> Please stop. And... <laughs> And, you know, he's crazy when he plays Deadpool. And, you know, as chaotic as the last one was? Yeah, okay. And anything else he does, like he did a couple of pictures with The Rock, I'm like, oh, these are not going to be any any much enjoyable, but they were. Yeah, he was great in the proposal. I enjoyed that one. And, and, yeah. and he did this thing with um, <laughs> two of them, with uh, Samuel Jackson and, uh, oh, my God, Sama, Sama Hayek. Oh, yeah. The, the Hitman's bodyguard. Is that any good? You need to have, like, tissues nearby. And and the Hitman's white bodyguard, you need, like, a big box. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy shit. Like, Shama goes, why don't you fuck me? You haven't fucked me. I'm like, wow, this is crazy shit. <laughs> I mean, and, and like, he, you know, and, and Ryan Reynolds is, like, supposed to be, like, this dorky, like, I'm a bodyguard for hire, but I suck at this. And Samuel Jackson's like, motherfucker, you know, doing his usual motherfucker stick. <laughs> and Selma Hayek is his, his wife. Mm-hmm. And all she keeps saying is, fuck me. And I'm like, this is crazy <laughs> shit. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, I digressed. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> we, we do. do this. Yeah, no, I, I, anybody's not warm to. Ryan Reynolds, you got to see the Hitman's wife's bodyguard and Hitman's whatever the fuck that thing's called. Look it up. And so, <laughs> you, you like Blade Trinity more than I like Blade Trinity. That's okay. Uh, it's interesting. They wanted to cast a new Blade actor, which is an Academy Award winning actor. But it looks like Wesley Snipes' name is still attached to this. So I'm curious to see what happens down the road. As far as Blade films go. Okay. So next up, 2005, seven seconds. Eastern Bloc loves Western cock. Did you wear your Don't Fuck Me, I'm a Queer t-shirt? The last one to beg you to do anything was your mama. Yeah, that's how this one opens. A cheap-ass Romania shot video store dust catcher from No Credits director Simon Fellows, who also handled one of those no-budget, well-past prime jobs for Jean-Claude Van Damme, who did a show on something called Until Death. With a cast of Eastern European and British no-names, one of whose sole contribution was a quick nude scene during the open credits, and shot like a particularly boring music video, <laughs> this is one of the <laughs> many easily skipped entries in Snipes' filmography. Essentially, Snipes and pals are crooks working in armored car heists. They get waylaid by Russian mobsters who kill some and take others hostage. Snipes escapes with a valuable painting, managing to frame a local cop by carjacking her for his escape. He tries to ransom his hostage partner. There's some Russian mob infighting. Snipes and his lady cop pal survive with the painting in hand. Um, okay, uh, what the fuck was I watching again, and why did I waste an hour plus of my life doing so? Stupid cheap crap that barely passes the drunken, bored, and looking for a dumb action heist film bar. 
not as painful as sitting through Spike Lee's racist diatribe, but it's really bad. Well, you know, you, you get to a point where uh, 2005 onward, Bulgarian, Hungarian, uh, Romanian, those big Romanian. What they shoot those? Those uh, we talked about it in the full moon show. Yeah. The blood, whatever they were, the vampire pictures. Right, right. Which, which they're doing another one. Yes, I saw about that. Yeah. So, yo, it's you got you got some decrepit. Radu the vampire. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can't remember the name of the series. But yeah, you got some bombed out buildings, cities, <laughs> Eastern Europe, Eastern yeah. Europe, and you have some uh, some really cheap locations, and you got some guys hungry to work, and so it's you know easy to work there. Seagal has been doing it for years, and uh, and Darius has been doing it on his occasional like I'll take a dip and get some money, you know, and uh, subspecies. That was the show. Subspecies, yes, and and. Uh, which, which some of those aren't so bad. Oh, I do. I like. I like. Uh, what's her name there? Duff, Denise Duff, very pretty girl. Denise Duff. Yeah. But you know, everybody so often like gets gets the thing like we're making a picture in Bulgaria. You will be paid this much for six for three weeks. I'll go. I'll work for two weeks. Okay. <laughs> Same amount. Two weeks. And then they shoot around everybody, and they they shoot your whole picture in two weeks, and and shit happens, you know, and and it's like. This happens to a lot of people because they can sell internationally to the market with the deftly re, uh, editing stuff. You know, it's like, whatever happened to that girl from, we just talked about. Uh, oh, Denise Duff? No, before Denise. Uh, oh. The coke addict from. Uh, oh, Yancy Butler. Yeah, whatever happened to her? I don't know. Now I feel sad. We should, oh. we should, we should check on Yancy Butler. She probably. <laughs> Probably the rehab, or maybe she's blowing guys in some Korean <laughs> massage parlor down in L.A. Hey, it's okay, though. Line up, boys. So, uh, where, where, where are we going to next? Hard luck, 2006. Oh, you. Love is when you and all the fucked up shit you've ever done in your life, and that you're probably going to do in your life, and every little thing you could possibly think it would embarrass the living shit out of you on any day of the week to any other person in the universe but this one special mm-hmm. woman. She takes it all and she kisses the feet you walk on without judgment. That's what love is. It's like going on an odyssey, a fantasy voyage or something. And I'm like James T. Kirk and she's like Princess Leia or something. And we're going where no couple has ever gone before. Mario Van Peebles, goofy-ass rapping and exterminator too baddie and director of Snipes in the similarly-minded New Jack City, starts off with Snipes as a former drug dealer turned community activist type who loses government funding for his youth center and winds up hanging with his old compatriots. All these play gangsters out here, they get so caught up in their own fantasy that they can't see the real picture. See, they think they're running shit. They ain't running shit. More likely they're running in shit. They just can't smell it, though. Look, I did things. I was grimy. I mean, I hustled. I scrambled. I did all that. And then I realized I can't find my way out of shit. And then anybody who follows me is foolish, including you. Naturally, this lands him in the middle of a sting operation, which he escapes from with a sort of cute Latina stripper with an amazing ass, <laughs> who he has sparks with, a Jacqueline Canonis of no further appreciable credits. However, aside from two really nice extended review sequences, she's kind of a bitch. There's one nice scene where he exits a restaurant through the back entrance and gets pulled over as a dining dash, but she comes up pretending to be his baby mom, so the cops let him go. Otherwise, the rest of the film goes on this bizarre tangent where rather than just running from the cops, they run afoul of a strangely mismatched serial torture killer copper who I just quoted earlier, an old beefy civil shepherd and a young thin Japanese guy of no notable credits. And of course, they not only manage to survive, but turn them into the cops so they get a big reward to boot. What? 
You have to wonder what kind of drugs Mario Van Peebles was on. Was this supposed to be another depressing gangbanger movie? A torture porn like Saw or some Eli Roth shit fest for sickos? A stripper film like the sexy little Maria Ford used to make her wheelhouse? It's a big fucking mess, with only Kinonis' early noon scenes to recommend it. I, I have not seen this, but you actually make me more curious. Yeah, you gotta go into the first, like, 20 minutes or so, and twice, once at the strip club, and then later on he, like, makes her strip to make sure she doesn't have the uh, weapons on her or whatever the hell, and yeah, that rear view is fucking amazing. <laughs> the rest of it, forget about it. That's all, that's all there is to recommend here. Oh, you, you make Simple Shepherd strip? Oh my god, no. You wouldn't want that, oh. trust me. She is huge oh. here, and old. I'm like, what the hell? This guy's, like, you know, 20-something and skinny, you know, young guy. And here's this woman that's gotta be, I don't know, pushing 50, 45? With, like, you know, Kathleen Turner nowadays kind of a thing? Or mm-hmm. uh, who's the other one there right, that made, people used to make a big stink out of that was on Cheers? The one that has, uh, because Mark Parker Stevens having a huge dick. Oh, oh. Uh, Kirstie Alley. Same idea. I'm like, oh, my God. What the hell? Are they, they're a couple? What? <laughs> you sure it's not his mom? Adoptive mom or something? Uh, anyway. Mm. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> I did not see that. Sorry. Oh, you asked about Yancey Butler. I just looked it up. She's still making, like, no-budget movies. Is she really? She was in that kick-ass thing everybody's thinking about. That Lake Placid 3 and 4. Something called Hansel and Gretel Get Baked. Kick-ass, too. Something called Death Race 2050. I have no idea. And she's still doing some stuff. Initiation, The Accursed. I don't know what these are. Must be like Bussy Snipes. Yeah, so she's working, so. She's out there. Good luck for her. So, speaking of no-budget Bussy Snipes films, 2007, The Contractor. Damn, Snipes has a whole side career doing some of the worst, lowest-budget crap quote action films ever produced. And here's yet another in a long, long, long list thereof. Snipes is a CIA black ops guy who gets called back into action to take out the Arab terrorist he failed to shot at the last time around. We get to see the unlikely image of Snipes dressed up like a priest, complete with dog collar, so he can get to the church bell tower for a good vantage point. He does complete his hit, but gets spotted by the cops and botches his getaway. The rest of the film is a wounded Snipes and some little tween, believe it or not, who susses him out but helps him get patched up, while Snipes is framed for the death of Uri's only Charles Dance, also a last action hero from a trio of Bond shows and our Arnold Schwarzenegger show, and Mr. Bennett from Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, who's one of the cops on the aforementioned scene. Of course, the leader of the hunt for Snipes is Dance's daughter and fellow cop, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies Lady Catherine herself, Lena Headley. Snipes saves her from getting taken out, she starts to figure out he may be innocent of her dad's death, and he gets together with the kid and her grandma. I shit you not. He doesn't get together with Lady Catherine. Wesley wants the kid. Yeah, it's probably not meant to come off as bad as that sounds, but still, who greenlighted this? Another terrible film in a long <laughs> line of such. What's your take? I did watch this, and uh, I very <laughs> rare I lost interest in the movie while I'm watching it. And to see a, that a lot to of see these. a movie make less bank than it actually costs to make, which is not good. You know, it's uh, bank means like if your film costs twenty and you make like sixteen, that means like guys, you got a problem. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about this. I'm sorry to say he, he's a fine presence on film, and uh, it's just he hasn't found what's working for yeah. him. So speaking of which, 2008, The Art of War 2, Betrayal. Seriously, Blur, I am getting into politics. Why would you want to do that? It's in politics where you can make a difference, right? That's exactly what I want to do. 
And if you can believe it, the sequel to Art of War is even worse. Snipes digs up his no-credits pal Joseph Ruznak of The Contractor and gets saddled with a no-name cast, the biggest credits going to love interest Athena Karkanis, whose big roles go from <laughs> the Care Bears Big Wish movie to Saw 4 and 6, nothing really in between or since. Terrible photography and camera work. More shaky cam, awkward zooms, pans and quick cuts, but with a distinct feel of one of those terrible television productions that pay channels will put out to pad the roster and attempt to draw viewers. In no way does this feel like even a direct-to-video style movie like a David Havner, Cynthia Rothrock, or Don the Dragon Wilson would have turned out. Those felt like actual movies, just with a lot of lesser character actors and no names and much lower budgets. This feels like the shittiest Netflix original series or something. It's practically unwatchable. I gave up about 35 minutes in, to be honest. It's true. I actually threw in a towel. It was that bad. <laughs> What's it's your take? It's no relation uh, to the art of war. We have a cast of like who, who, who the fuck are they? You know, <laughs> he worked. He worked with this director and this production company before it. For the contractor, which was also terrible. Yes, yes, and and it's it's a medium budget company out of Canada and Eastern Europe, and so. Yo, what, what could he have been making at the bank? Yo, not much. And then it, it's sad in a way. Yo, yo, watching this, I thought I thought he did fine. I thought he did fine, but the mo- the movie just really, yeah, I kind of I kind of clocked out halfway through. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like you. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't I can't do any more of this. <laughs> so 2010, Game of Death. The system's corrupt. Every day we risk our lives, and for what? We predict sellouts and monsters. It's been like that for a long time, and it's not going to change. So yeah, this time, fuck them. We're taking the money. Snipes actually tries to act a bit as a tortured CIA agent assigned to gather intel on an arms dealer, Robert Davi of City Heat, Road Deal, and License to Kill from our Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Trio of Bond shows. He gets in on Davis's operation as a bodyguard, but when they go to pick up a multi-million dollar payoff... Snipes' boss and stuntwoman turned occasional actress Zoe Bell rather stupidly try to take them out before the transaction. Davi winds up at a hospital. Snipes gets shit from security and starts fainting because they wrote him as a diabetic for no good reason, seriously. The CIA defectors pull a hostage scenario in hospital, by far the best sequence in the film, and kidnap Davi so he could pick up the money they should have let him get before swooping in on them. There's some back-and-forth threats between these two fools and the mobsters. Bell gets gunned down by Snipes. Dobby makes lots of weird faces in a wheelchair throughout. It all wraps up on the framing sequence it began on. Snipes confessing the priest Ernie Hudson of the Octagon from a Chuck Norris show and Magic from the new Quantum Leap show. Honestly, of all the movies that Snipes did post Demolition Man, this is one of the few that was actually watchable and kind of decent for what it was. Sure, it looks like a TV cop show, but he does invest himself in the character for so little time as they allow in this sort of no-budget action film. And it comes off very much like a Don the Dragon Wilson picture, which are dumb but loads of fun if you did canon films and such like. And we did a whole show on canon, so it's obvious where we stand on that. I was surprised after feeling like doing the show was pulling teeth without Novocaine to actually find myself liking this one. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. I actually, it's funny. I actually like this one yeah, too. Yeah. You know, nice to see Gary Daniels back from you know the old Jackie Jackie Chan days. Uh, Zoe Bell from the um, she's been a couple other things. She was usually uh, a stunt woman. I think she was stunt woman on stunt woman. She worked for uh, Tarantino. Uh, Ernie Hudson, Ghostbusters. You know, it's funny because I I actually felt like you did like. I actually felt like, 
Wesley Snipes invested himself in this picture. Why the fuck he would? <laughs> I have no idea. It's a little budget picture. Yeah. It's like, who's your, you know, whatever. Maybe yeah. he decided, like, I took your money. I read the script. Maybe I'll uh, I'll try a little harder. Maybe he was using this as a showcase to try to get into the next film. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, you never know. Right. So, 2014, The Expendables 3, where he's Dr. Ooh. Death. You were in a black ops prison that doesn't officially exist. I got the location from an agency spook. Excuse me? Wesley is Dr. Death, extracted from a Gitmo analog by Sly Stallone, who he devoted a whole show to, and pals Dolph Lundgren and Jason Statham from the Transporter. And Lundgren, of course, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I think my favorite film of his was the one he did with Brandon Lee, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Jet Lee also shows up, as does Norbert's Terry Crews from our Eddie Murphy show. Mad Max Mel Gibson as the baddie. Harrison Ford a Frantic from our Roman Polanski show. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we also devoted the show to. So why'd you get locked up? Tax evasion. Snipes, who gets a comparative lion's share of the screen time in this decidedly large action film Starfucker cast, plays it like an Idi Amin-style African terrorist, all big eyes and understated psychopath, <laughs> but with the same humor and off-kilter likability you'd expect from the guy who played Simon Phoenix. Great to have you back. While Snipes, who hadn't really done a mainstream action film since the days of Demolition Man and Passenger 57, may seem an unlikely choice for the 80s and 90s nostalgia dumping ground for faded action heroes. Remember, they also added a surprisingly decent Kelsey Grammer. Yes, Frazier goes commando, sorta. El Mariachi and Desperado Antonio Banderas, and by the end of the film, even MMA star and flop wrestler Ronda Rousey shows up for half a minute. Stallone's not afraid to stretch the envelope a bit. While I'm not a fan, I have to say she looks good taking out guys in glasses, fuck me heels, and a tight red number in that one scene there. Only wish they'd gotten Van Damme, Willis, and Chuck Norris from the prior film to show up as well. They can always find some reason they really didn't die or whatever. Like, the two that came before it, there's really not much to this plot-wise, but when the hell have you seen quite so many guys film heroes all together in the same place? Of all the three of them, this was actually my favorite, even though it's kind of dopey. And some people was like, oh, well, it's not as bloody, it's not as R-rated, but I like this one. This was always the best one of the three for me. What's your take? Yeah, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like all three of these. I remember I... I... <laughs> when we did the Stallone show, probably. Yeah, the Stallone show. You know, it's, I, I had this Chinese girlfriend, and... I said, hey, I got tickets to see The Expendables. And she goes, what's that? So, oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I want to go. <laughs> so we went, and there was a, it was a uh, pre-release. And, like, she loved it. You know, and, uh, we actually were together for the second picture. And uh, so when the third one came around, I was like, wow, you got you got Statham, Banderas, Jet Li, blah, blah, blah. I, I just thought, it's fun. You know, nice to add Wesley into this mix. For some reason, it seemed to be the lesser of the three expendable Expendables pictures I like. But they did a fourth one, so we'll see who's not. I like that they took risks because you know in the other ones did, it was people you expect like oh there's Chuck Norris, there's you know Bruce Willis, there's people that were like big action heroes from the 80s and 90s, and then they started throwing strange people in like. What the hell is Kelsey Grammer doing there? But he was good. Yeah. And what the hell's Ronda Rousey there? But at least in that one scene in the club with the glasses and all that and the outfit, she looked good. I'm like, okay, you know, this is I'm, I like this. Yes, it might be less, you know, dark and gruesome or whatever hell than the other ones, but that's probably probably part of why I liked it. Because <laughs> you know, I, I don't really get into that grim and gritty shit a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, it's I like these things because there was a 
in a way, it was part of like, you know, me growing up with this genre. It was like, fuck yeah. You got all these guys together? Are you crazy? Wow. Yeah, it's like everybody, the Van Damme. I mean, they, they pulled anybody out of it. Anybody that did an action movie of some sort or several of them, yep. bam, they're there somehow in one of these films. Yeah, the second one was Van Damme as a villain, right? And mm -hmm. Scott Adkins was his uh, chief guy. Scott Adkins, that's a reason spell, too. Yeah, Scott Adkins. That guy's wicked. And uh, I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy shit. I never seen Van Damme play so well later years as I, I saw him doing Expendables 2. And, uh, I'm actually wondering if the new one, they'll bring in people like from the more shot on video type stuff since they brought in Snipes. Like maybe it'll get uh, Cynthia Rothrock and Billy Blanks or Jalal Murray or somebody like that. Well, I, I know they did a fourth one. I know Stallone says it's his last and they already shot it. And so I, I forgot. Sasha Mitchell. <laughs> Sasha Mitchell. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that can do. They yeah, can they're smart, out. but they're not. They're not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, we know there's a thing for that, but you know, at the same time, we want we want to make money. <laughs> the guy who did the perfect weapon. What was that? Jeff Speakman or something? Jeff Speakman, <laughs> yeah. You know, the perfect weapon was a fine film. It, it was. It was decent. It was decent, decent, but other Jeff Speakman films were like, eh. But, you know, the thing about Expendables 3 was, like, we had Harrison Ford showing up in a helicopter. That was unexpected. And, and you, know, you know, Mel Gibson, Banderas, who I have to say was so sweet in, in his part. I was like, dude, I wish you were in all these things. Because he played, like, a kind of quirky guy. Yep. And, you know, Statham, you know, Jason Statham, who I think is taking over the show in the series. Yeah, it kind of is. Is like, uh, well, I'm not sure, but you know, Jet Li always kind of bows out, like at some point. Like you notice that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, hi, I'm here. I oh, I'm I'm gone now. <laughs> hey, come on, man. Where the fuck is? Oh, wasn't he not doing well or something? That's why he's not doing so many movies anymore. No, yes, he's 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 not been doing well health wise. And yeah, that might be why. It's a shame. You know? Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of people in there that surprised me and that you wouldn't think would be there. And then when they did show up, it's like, oh, that's interesting. They were actually pretty good. So I do like this one, the best of them. But, you know, they're all of a piece. You know, if you like one, you probably like the other two as well to some extent. So where are you going next? So next up is one of the last ones here. The Recall from 2017, which was a – he's also the producer on it. Snipes once again alternates mainstream success with bottoming out under his own ages with this atrocious zennial take on the Blair Witch Project by way of one of those horrible modern slasher films. But it's Canadian and one of those X-Files-style alien abduction affairs to boot. Five or six of the weirdest-looking college kids playing teenagers you've ever seen go out in the woods for the weekend to act stupid and fuck with clothes on. Seriously. Snipes is that old slasher film trope. Slasher. How do you fuck with clothes on? Exactly. That's the point. Like, what the hell are they doing here? Sorry, yes. Snipes is that old slasher film. Although you could ask Elvis, didn't he fuck with his underwear on? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, we did an Elvis film show, folks. Snipes is that old slasher film trope slash red herring. The old weirdo lurking around in a cabin nearby who they think is a serial killer because he's always armed to the teeth and doesn't want to talk to anybody. Turns out there's an alien invasion, a la invasion of the body snatchers, and he used to be an astronaut with a Whitley Stryber-style close encounter of the third kind. Only instead of anal probes, these aliens take over humans, all of the Tommyknockers, leaving a telltale sigil scar in their arms after abduction so you know who isn't themselves anymore. 
Snipes is trying to stop the invasion, as is the government, but of course, the weird-looking kids all succumb anyway, with the implication that the entire human race is about to become the alien's breeding farm or what have you. It sounds so much better than it is, and if you dig this kind of thing, there are a million other far better films you could sit through, starting with the 1979 Invasion of the Body Snatchers from our Donald Sutherland show, and with Jeff Goldblum in a leading role. This is no-budget, modern, quote, horrors wreck, that you're probably all too familiar with from shit studios like Blumhouse and IFC Midnight. Easily dispensable, hard-to-watch stuff that isn't worth the cellular it's printed on. Absolutely avoid this unless you've got a fetish for strange-looking, post-teenager terrible actors in digital close-up bumping into each other and doing stupid shit like the crowded at night at the State Fair Haunted House. Why, Wesley? Why? <laughs> what was your take? I did not see this. I can't comment that. Yeah. Yeah. Good to yourself a favor and don't. So uh, you mentioned Dolomite is my name. I did not see that, obviously. So, yeah, Dol- yeah, Dolomite is my name is the uh, Craig Brewer picture about Rudy Ray Moore starting Eddie Murphy. And they managed on the uh, outset that... Uh, and we had talked to uh, that in our Eddie Murphy show as well. Yes. You did. That, uh, our subject tonight played the Yervo Martin, film director and actor, who actually directed Dolomite's first few films. Very interesting movie. It's a great movie. Eddie Murphy was nominated for many awards for this film. Even Wes Snipes was nominated. But, you know... I'm not going to get into a certain kind of thing, but I I really liked Dolomite is my name, and I really really enjoyed his performance in this. I mentioned this on the outset, so I I kind of don't want to go into that. We talked about uh, about this a lot on the uh, anywhere for show. What do you got, Nick? Well, the last one I guess is coming to America. Coming to America. To numbers in the middle. To America. 2021, we cover the surprisingly decent sequel to 1988's Coming to America, exchanging the word to the number for its title in our Eddie Murphy show. Essentially, Snipes' Idi Amin by way of Mabaku from Marvel's Black Panther is the driver of the plot, as his warlord's neighboring African nation is being staved off from inciting a war with Murphy's own by arranged marriage. When Murphy's informed by his sidekick-slash-chaperone Arsenio Hall that he actually roofied him to ensure that he got someone pregnant during the original film's trip to New York City, they bring his bastard son and family, including including beleaguered supermarket sweep host Leslie Jones back home, ostensibly saving Murphy's daughter from marriage to wild-eyed third-world dictator nutjob Snipes, and a happy ending with his own choice of bride by doing something they could have done from minute one, namely intimidating Snipes and company at the point of a spirit to peaceful compromise. Don't look for logic, it's a comedy, and a strange sort of rom-com at that. Snipes is having fun here, doing the same crazed, tongue-in-cheek Simon Phoenix bit he recently pulled in Expendables 3. I like this one quite a bit. For a much-delayed sequel, it's surprisingly good and can essentially stand on its own merits. But if you want to hear more about it, uh, definitely check out our Eddie Murphy show, because we discussed it there. No, it's, it's quite good for uh, Eddie Murphy, Wesley Snipes' comeback vehicle. And, uh, you know, after we actually did our last Eddie Murphy show, I watched this again. And I have to say, it is much very charming, and it's kind of quizzical. It's kind of like, why wasn't this even more popular than it was? But it's very, very enjoyable. Very, very funny. Good. Yeah, good, so good. Surprisingly enough, it stands on its own as well, which is really yes, nice. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's really it. I mean, he completed something called Back on the Strip. I don't know what that is. It's this year. He's also done a voiceover for what's probably going to be another terrible one of those uh, Disney Marvel cartoons, like that fucking What If. It's uh, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Don't ask me. 
It'll probably suck, just like the other one did. But uh, that's really it. We brought you up to date on Wesley, which mm. he's had a bumpy career. I mean, there's been some definite highs in there, some definite good films, and a lot of shit. Sometimes he invests himself, and he's really brings it to the table. And it's like, okay, this guy's good. And other times he's phoning it in. So. Yeah, so I actually like to see Wesley Snipes as you know as the ages he is, whatever he is. I like to see him be Blade again. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I agree, maybe he'll uh, be Whistler. You know, or he could be anymore. Whistler. That's a very interesting take on that, actually. That's a very interesting take on that. Because yeah, uh, I mean, if he's not going to be the lead, then why not? Yeah, why not? That would be very good. Very good thinking there. Yeah. So, uh, next. Well, that's it. Is there anything else you want to close out on? No. Good, good show. All right. So, thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on Wesley Snipes. Uh, next week, of all people, John Belushi. If you would like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker or musician who'd like to join us on air, drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1, and we're also on Podbean, thirdeyecinema.podbean.com, and we're on iTunes. Uh, you can look us up under Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. If you're particular, it's ID 5534020044. We're also on Spotify and Amazon Podcasts. Again, just look us up under Third Eye Cinema, Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, brought to you by our new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. So, uh, anything else you want to close out on? Any just comments, suggestions, anything? <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you all for listening. And uh, hey, we do we do these things because we we watch all these fucking movies, <laughs> and we appreciate what these actors do, what these directors do, and and we bring you what we think of the highlights of their careers or their performances, and at the same time. We try to turn you on to stuff you don't know about. I think that's why we do this. And we're also trying to steer you away from the stuff that's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which strangely is usually the stuff that people say is, oh, this is the greatest. I'm like, really? <laughs> that, that happens sometimes. Sometimes yeah. people really acclaim something that's just really not good. But it's okay. You know, look, this is all eye of the beholder stuff. It's all... What you see, what your your decision, your well, choice. There is stuff that you can concretely say, this is good, this sucks, just on based on how it's made and how people invest themselves in it, the script being good or bad, the cinematography. These things are kind of concrete. But whether you like the film anyway or not, hey, that's, of course, it's highly behold. Yeah, it's up to you. But we, we, we try to uh, we try to steer you in a direction. <laughs> <laughs> Save you some trouble from you know, the situation. Yeah, shit just or... don't go to any tranny bars. That's not, not on us. If you want to go there, it's all right. But uh, you mentioned that a couple of times. Maybe you should go there. But no, no, so no. You never know. They might be doing a Spice Girls show or something. Hey, <laughs> they might, really love the Spice Girls. Actually, interesting. <laughs> and, and, and if anybody wants to go, just like let us know off, off. You know, off here, and you know, maybe we'll, we'll hook up with you. We'll see. <laughs> so, on that note, anyway, thanks for listening. I will be back with our next show. All right, see you next time for John Belushi.
every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving Towards Life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the 
career and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. Hey, how you doing? All right. All right. So are you getting ready for your big chiller? <laughs> I'm only doing two events. Yeah. Um, I guess partly he wanted to see if I would actually show up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, partly because of, I guess, COVID, you know, how many people actually sit in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, uh, we're not in the big room anymore. Well, I'm not in the big room anymore. It's a, it's a different room. I don't even know where it is. So I I don't know if you took if you've taken a look in past weeks, but he's got a lot of guests. Even if a few cancel, he has a lot of guests. And you know, he's it's funny. I do talk to him on the phone from time to time, even if there's no show, just to check in on a guy. And yeah, you know. Uh, I used to suggest uh, from shows I like, and I think, you know, if I suggest 10 people or four show up, people would really like that. And I said, The Walking Dead's canceled. It's, well, not yet. The show's over. You know, there's a, I don't think they'll make money for the show. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, like Supernatural, watching this thing for 15 years. They're doing big events, these guys. Mm-hmm. And they're doing small shows. And I said, look, that's a main cast of 20 people. I'm sure a few will come, you know. I don't think they would bring us business. So he's got a fucking Lou Abbott and Costello imitator? <laughs> Yo, I, I got no words for that. All I can say is, you know, I haven't gone to these for a while, as you know. Yeah. But, you know, you used to go there when there's all these, you know, cult people, black exploitation people, and whatever the hell. And a couple of big names, you know, Tony Curtis or hell would show up, Peter Fonda. But I looked at it, and I'm like, okay, well, they got Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future. Okay. That was the last decent. show. Yeah, that was the last one. Yeah. Oh, it was the last one. So it's not even this one. Okay, and then I saw Drew Barrymore supposed to be there, so I'm like, okay, that's that was a big the last name. one. I think she canceled. Oh, again, wow. <laughs> so it was like the only thing I saw in there was like, who the hell it was a cast of one show or movie? And I was like, okay. No, they have everybody else. Bolo Young is coming. Bolo's there, yes, that's correct. Right. But he doesn't speak with English, as far as I know. That's what I was. I wasn't friends with this guy at first, but uh, agent guy, but. He's really into, uh, he's really, who knew? He's really into Prague. He's a huge Tangerine Dream fan. Okay. So we had some conversations about that, you know, and he turned out to be a good guy, you know, and this is how he makes money. It's fine, all right? So he told me he was coming, so oh, I'd love to talk to him. He said, look, I got to be honest. It's not going to happen because he don't. <laughs> now watch, I'll go there and be perfect English, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I get it. You know, I get it. And also I was told, Unofficially, that more and more the agents, you know, it's like me and you. If we went somewhere, we met a celebrity, got chummy, and said, Hey, there's this event, you know, would you be interested? Oh, yeah, but you got to sit at the, you know, and then the agent guy gets money. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. and, and more and more, these guys don't want the people to leave the table except to go to the bathroom and eat. <laughs> that's because that's where the money is. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And it's like, it's 25 minutes. It's, it's, it used to be such a nice thing to do, and now it's like, I don't know. It's like pulling teeth. 
I was, because even when you had a lot of people there, and it wasn't just like you know, the cast of some schlubby movie or show that I don't even care about, and then that's it, nobody else I care at all. We would go there and have a lot of people, and we would get maybe one uh, panel that would, they would cancel out, they wouldn't show up for, and then one that we would see. It's like, okay, this is cool. And then that was kind of it, and I was like, geez, couldn't these other people have come too? I really wish they would have, you know, I want to hear their stories. I want them to do their uh, shtick with you. Well, you know what happens sometimes is people, you know, when I'm there, people say, Oh, I thought you were doing one with, you know, so-and-so because they're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. They worked out. You know, I have to be diplomatic. Yeah, sure. Or, and this has happened in the past. They put all the cast people from one movie in one room, mm-hmm. and half the, sh- the cast guys walk out <laughs> to do my thing, and the other guy goes, can I come too? I'm like, I was told you weren't interested. Who told you that? <laughs> come on. You know, yep. you know, then I'll get out there. We have a special, you know, I hope that happens with Tom Atkins because Adrian Barbeau canceled. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in the same room with all these creep show people. So he's, once he sees everybody walking out but him, yeah. his guy is a different handler than the other people. Mm-hmm. So if he's a nice guy, I met, I talk, I interviewed him, but mm-hmm. not on camera. And I don't even know if anybody's filming this, so yeah. I don't know. My guy who used to come to every show and film these things, from he moved from Long Island to Connecticut. He's a DJ on SUB. Okay. I guess he's remote now. And he's got a lot of health issues. And, you know, he's he's worried about COVID. Understandably, I'm not going to push it. You know, I ask mm-hmm. him, are you coming? Well, I don't know. And he could barely walk as it is. So uh, some of these haven't been filmed. What else happened this week? So I finally did my long in the planning Alan White tribute, you mm-hmm. know, the drummer for Yes. Yeah. You have to take notes of something, you know, and I had to listen to so much stuff. And I, I just wanted to, he, you know, he worked with Lennon, he did his Plastic Ono band, mm-hmm. uh, All Things Must Pass. And so my own thing, which, which somebody taught me, and I learned this from watching other similar things, is nobody's going to watch this for more than 25 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. 30 minutes tops. And it went to 50 minutes. So I recorded it, but I didn't put it up because I watched it and I forgot to attach the um, the pop filter. And and it was picking up all these, I don't know, I guess I had dry mouth because I had some allergies right now. Mm-hmm. And every time I went like... Oh, you yeah, know, you do that a lot. I actually edit it out when I can. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I, I always have bad sinus. You know that yeah. for you. And trust me, I know from having some, even the wine, plus you drink a vodka there, it dries your mouth out, and you're always kind of like. Yeah, but yeah, but I didn't drink what I did, you know, when I tried to do the podcast shows. I just normally had, because like, I was sneezing my head off the past two days. I actually took a COVID test today. Mm-hmm. Negative, of course. Yeah. You know, but like, you feel, if you feel like really shitty, you're like, don't tell me I have COVID now. <laughs> After the show, I'll understand, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's like my own stupidity. But yeah, no, so I watched this thing. I said, well, it's pretty good. It's pretty informative. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about things people don't know about. He worked with Alan Price and jazz. But I, first of all, it's too fucking long. You know, I was like, damn. So hopefully I have to go into work in the city Wednesday. And tomorrow, when nobody's watching, I can just research the people I have to uh, interview a chiller mm-hmm. and tomorrow any downtime from work I'll try to do uh, do it over and I'll just do a 20 minute version yeah I mean that's doable but you know I don't know if it matters that much if somebody's interested they might forward up they might drop out halfway through or something but they're still gonna watch it yeah but th- no it also bothered me with the text were more audible because with the see I'm not using the pot filter now mm-hmm. but when I use the pot filter I, I I don't hear that as much yeah well you would hope not that's the idea that's the idea. I know. It's a, it's another thing I have to connect. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear about the passing of your friend. 
Yeah, I just found out about that. It must have been 11.30 this morning. Our mutual friend, actually, it was Matt that used to do it. I don't yeah. know with me. And he's like, did you hear this? What's going on? He's like, what happened? I'm like, I have no freaking idea. I just found out from you. And I go over in his page. And unfortunately, he, in recent months, has become a real freaking Trumpster. I don't know what his problem was. Wow, and he, really? And he ghosted me. He disappeared from my friend list. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, all right, you know, I'll just send him another thing in case it was accidental or whatever. And it just sat there, you know, requested. It actually still says requested on my thing. I'm like, really? All right, whatever. So I just figure, okay, he's a little nutty now. He's, he's been nutty before for different things, so fine. And I heard nothing. And even on his page, you're like, I saw somebody that we knew, you know, Leonora, this girl. And apparently the other person who I did not know, Matt tells me, was his uh, sister-in-law or something like that. And Matt himself. And I'm like, what the hell? What happened here? Nobody seems to know. I was just like, jeez. So, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, about what the hell? I really want to put up at least these two songs that we had jammed on it. Yeah, I listened to those. I listened to those. You know what you could do when you mm. have time is uh, try to condense those and put them up. Edit that. Well, that's the trick. It's like I don't really have something like a YouTube or something. Because like I would have went and just did that myself. I would have just posted yeah, up these okay. things for my own. I, I get you. I get you. And they're a couple of years old, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, screw it. It's just it's already up there, even though it's kind of, you know, we're, we're doing a show in between. And you got this other stuff. I saw on. where you posted that from, Internet Archives. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. When I was moving over, actually, before I moved from Blog Talk, I was seeing all these things about space limitations and whatever the hell else, because BTR is a piece of crap. And they were really pushing me about that. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do here? Because I want to leave these shows up. And this is before I even transfer it, I think. I was like, well, Matt's not, he's hit and friend me a couple of times. Like, nah, nah, I don't think I'm ever going to do this again. I'm done. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, it was great for like, you know, however long we did it, eight, ten years. So I was like, well, I guess that's the likeliest one. I still want to leave them up so people can hear them. But I'm not going to waste my paid space on this. If I'm being harassed about space and give us more money or like lose stuff, you won't be able to put anything new. I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm still doing this one. And Third Eye, you know, I still not officially ever stopped. It's just kind of a hiatus until somebody of interest comes up and I feel like interviewing them. How many years have we been doing this? We've been doing this since... 20... Uh, I was on 2011 with that eye level. 2012 was when Third Eye started. And then I did this one and the brief and abortive Moving Towards Light so around we, the exact uh, we same were, time. We were doing this before Moving Towards Light. So it had to be 2013, 2014. It's definitely been a bit because I could tell you we've been going for 10 years. If you're yeah, sure. at least. At least because... Yeah. We've got nearly 100 episodes up, even though we've had the hiatus for a year and a half. So we had, Yeah, even though we had the hiatus. But before that, you were telling me you were working with this woman. You were really excited. Mm-hmm. And you asked if I was interested. And right before I was join, yeah, that, she popped out. Remember? Yes, I do remember that. Yep. We, we have these weird things. Oh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know. He, I, he's an okay guy, but I really can't hang with him because... All he's posting about is torture porn stuff and the latest yep. edition of torture porn stuff. And but he loves it. He was go- actually the one that really turned me off because he was going on that thing about fucking Campbell Ferox and how excited he was about that one scene there yeah, yeah, yeah. with the girl getting it up. The- I'm like, come on, really? I- and my wife's sitting there. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. I'm like, just ignore this fucking guy. But it, you know, <laughs> it, there's torture porn stuff with the women as the protagonists now. They're they're killing men and women. You know. Yeah. And I was all excited just... about that, and I'm like, yes, I don't. Well, that's it. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, this thing here. I saw this. Oh, wow, you won't believe this. He's all excited, like he's getting all, you know, practically he's horny over this shit. I'm like, this guy is fucked up. I do not like this person. <laughs> no, and there's a lot of people yeah. in my circle with who's in the same circle as this guy. Oh my god, I just saw that. You're right. I'm like. I went to see it in the theater. I'm like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. 
I mean, that was bad enough with uh, Mariano Giordano there, and Patrick lives again. But at least that was so cheesy and fake. You know, it's not like oh, oh cheesy God, and fake, really? and it has some sex mixed in. So oh yeah, is... that's what I'm saying. That that one I liked, but not because of that. It was just like okay. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. It's like watching Fulci. I'm actually better watching Fulci than Argento because it's not realistic. <laughs> what was I watching? But, you because know, I'm, I'm in between doing this, though, mm-hmm. in between listening to progressive music, right. and in between when my wife is back because she's a huge Liam Neeson fan. Is there anything we haven't seen that I found on Amazon Prime, The Marksman, okay. which is another Liam Neeson film where he dies. Like, this is like number four in a row lately with this guy. <laughs> You know, at the climax. It's actually it's yeah. not a bad film. He's good. The guy's so good. You know, you're like, yeah, the movie has issues, but he's he's good. So, yeah, in between Liam Neeson movies, you know, I, I, my relaxing thing at the end of the night was Supernatural. And what the hell? Season two, almost toward the end. Yeah. I said, I don't know. What can I do to convince this guy? It's like a fucking Fulci moment. And and I think the guys behind this, yeah. they, 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 they know their Italian stuff. I was like, Really? Look at a Pugout Guts? This was actually shown in the CW? <laughs> no. And, or, wow. All right. So we're not just going to pull a heart out of the chest. They're going to put the hand through the body. but as it, Oh, like Evil Clutch. Yeah. But as it's it done much better, and the effects, are, the effects yeah. are all there. As the as it comes out, I'm just going to pull out that. Oh, is that ribcage? Crack. I'm like, what am I doing? They show this on CW. Wow. That's why he said <laughs> I say I can't believe. Yo, I never watched it. It was on. I know you you were watching some of the. Uh, oh, the Winchester yeah, thing. Yeah. I I I don't know how I feel about that because they they had some later years some like how the parents met. Yeah. And I'm like, so why didn't you just cast those people? You know, which which they didn't. Who played young versions? Because. Uh, well, maybe it's been too many years. They want to keep somebody that was you know going to a young demographic or something. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I had to start like one of these days. I'm going to get him to jump in on season three. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's special about season three? You you'll get passed through the debut and they're much older. Okay. <laughs> Did I? You always say the pretty boys and like I never thought these guys were like even if I went that way were kind of pretty. I'm just going by the girls and the fan reaction was all like okay. Yeah. Yeah, some pretty boys, whatever. You know, it reminds me of, like I said, Angel with the, what's his name there? Borny ass. I never thought he was good looking, but women were like crazy about him, and I guess gay guys too. I'm like, all right, whatever. No, I, never liked I thought the show sucked ass. Oh, you know what I watched? <laughs> I hated it. Interview with the Vampire. The new TV yeah. series? I wanted to see that. I think it's something, something stupid I don't get to, like HBO Max. No, AMC. AMC General. No, no pay. Yeah. Interesting. So I have to take a look. Oh, at it was disgusting. It was. <laughs> It was, look, I really liked the movie. I mean, say. I did too, and I wasn't expecting to. I actually had the shirt, believe it or not. Yeah. I think they gave it away or something at the time, but I saw, wait, no, that was Dracula that I saw the early screening of. Oh, old one? But it left an extra footage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I like Interview with the Vampire. It was a fine film. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really, it's not that close to the book, really, if you're, if you're a fan of Anne Rice, but, it but it was good. Enough. I liked it. You know, hasn't, and the performances are fucking killer. And the cinematography was gorgeous. Yeah, the sets, like, you know, okay. good. So I tried this. I'm like, okay, we're going to make everybody happy. And the the guy's black. And I think he was one of the guys they wanted to be the next Bond. And it's not going to happen either. And, you know, because he's black. He's just, he's light. He's light and airy. And there's no gravitas to any of these okay. people. Ah, you know, that's the problem right there. Yeah, that's the problem <laughs> right there. Watching this, and it's like. Because I even went back and reassessed uh, the terrible Queen of the Damned. I'm like. You know what? If you compare it to something like Blade, it's not that bad. If you compare it to Interview with the Vampire, it sucks. Yeah. But I was like, you know, it was okay. And the guy that played Lestat, okay, not my idea of Lestat, but 
He was all right, you know. He wasn't as good as Tom Cruise was, but, you know, I, I was okay with it. Whereas, you know, <laughs> if they don't have anything going for them, I'm like, really? What are you doing here? <laughs> oh, there's a lot of, see, there's a lot of, I got a lot of good feelings for our Tom Cruise show because I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, there is this, is, he's got some strange stuff in there because we got to things like Cocktail and uh, Top Gun. And, well, yeah, he was young, but then. Risky business. Risky business, which is fun. I mean, it was fun. It was stupid. It's but, stupid yeah. fun, and then and then, I mean, even though he wasn't packing it, that Bob Seger song was like, damn, that thing was popular. It, the whole thing's popular. People still do that stupid dance he did in his underwear, jumping <laughs> around the couch doing the air guitar. But uh, bless him, because they're young enough to do that. <laughs> But, you know, I remember Rebecca DeMornay was pretty hot at the time, and it, was, it wasn't bad. So, All right, so test this, and we'll get right on to Wesley. I shall. Okay. So what's your take? <laughs> You're one of those. <laughs> the long pause. You still there? Yes, I'm here. Give me a minute. My cat is doing crazy shit. I'll be right back. Oh, sure. Okay. Yes, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> I was giving some balloons for my birthday, and I tied up the strings, and my cat is trying to eat the strings. Pretty crazy, right? Hello? Are you there? Yeah. Oh, you're break too. I <laughs> <laughs> went for a pit stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I was giving some uh, birthday balloons for my birthday. Very cute. 